Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a very special edition of the Bell Critics Podcast, coming to you from, not quite live, um, but from Glasgow Film Festival. Uh, we're adding some international flavour to proceedings this week. Uh, I'm joined today by Dave McFarlane from BornOffside.net. Hello, I'm not going to swear much. <laughs> don't say, go and give promises you can't keep, Dave. Um, as long as you don't libel anyone, I'm happy. I promise nothing. Um, and Paul Fisher. From the right club. Hello. Hello, Paul. Right, well, I've launched a coup this week, and I have usurped Steve as host for one week only, uh, and I'm hoping that my new panel here will be a little less lippy um, than the usual bastards I work with. But that's... I'm, I'm looking at Dave now, and, and <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave is one of my usual bastards on the Born Offside podcast. Um, we're also in the same room. This is this is history for Fell Critics. We're actually recording a podcast in the same room. And that room, as you can hear, is a pub. Um, so my dream scenario has finally been realised. Not just any old pub, though. We are coming from Brewdog Bar in Glasgow. Quite literally, the friendliest pub in Glasgow. And purveyors of excellent food and award-winning beers. What are you drinking, Dave? That was some disgusting plug in there. <laughs> the thing is, I genuinely mean it to. Um, I'm drinking a punk IPA at the moment. As am I. As are you, Dave. It's delicious. Yeah, me, me too at the moment, but I've got a pint of the Dave and Red Cider waiting for me just to try it out something a wee bit different. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Brewdog Glasgow are sponsoring our Fell Critics coverage of the film festival. I think it is fair to say, though, um, that when we originally arranged this podcast, we'd already agreed to meet here. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Coming up in this episode, um, we're going to review some of the great and uh, not-so-great films uh, that we've seen so far at the festival. I'm also going to be talking later to Stephen Niche and Amy Taylor to discuss Stoker and Cloud Atlas, two big films that have had their pre-premieres uh, in Glasgow this week. And the three of us will bring back Triple Bill, and we're going to choose our f- three favourite films that were filmed in Scotland. So, quickly, a bit about yourselves then, gents. Um... First you, Paul, uh, who, who are you writing for uh, at the moment? Who do you want to give a plug to, considering we're a plug-heavy podcast already today? Um, and what were your favourite films the last 12 months? Firstly, writing, pretty much writing for myself. Um, we do The Rate Club. It's uh, www.therateclub.co.uk. We have That's with a W, isn't it? Yes, it yes. is with a yeah. W. <laughs> it, it's, it's a rubbish, rubbish play on words with Fight Club. <laughs> But uh, there you go. That was the best we could do when we come up with the name for the website. Um, we cover everything, film, TV, food and drink, gaming. We cover music. And we also have started a podcast to rival you guys, which I'm sure it won't. Um, we have 
just recorded episode two, which should be out by the time you listen to this. So have a look for us on iTunes if you fancy listening to about a British TV nostalgia from the last twenty years. Um, as for films for the past twelve months, one recent one that I watched was I've, I've watched quite a few of the Oscar nominated stuff. I would say it was a toss up between Zero Dark Thirty and Les Mis, which my favourite. I'm going to go with Zero Dark Thirty because I think it was brilliant, save for half an hour of kind of redundant <laughs> scenes, but it was I really really enjoyed it. Um, film that I watched recently that's been out for a few years was Up. Mm. had never seen it and it was on the TV one day I was sitting hungover and I thought ah, let's watch this give it a try I never cried which I've never done at a film which I know you have James oh, quite a lot pretty much every time I'm surprised I didn't cry at the thieves to be honest <laughs> <laughs> but um, that jumped out at me as one that I've seen recently that has been really well received critically and by the general public so I, I really enjoyed that so up with him and zero that there excellent and yourself, Dave. Who are you representing today? Um, a lot of people because I'm a bit of a slag. <laughs> um, I'm the head editor and writer of Born Offside, which James will attest to because we do the podcast yeah. for that as well. Um, also, guest with Paul on the SPL podcast, where I swear even more and try and get it sued. Um, I've also been known to appear on Sports Tonight to cover games and do my best soccer Saturday impression, which I'm not very good at, and I swore at him in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I called my Celtic fan. <laughs> I'm the reason for the seven second delay. <laughs> and best film you've seen in the last 12 months? Um, because I, even though I say a movie podcast, I watch a lot of movies, so I'm pointless. But the, the last one that I've seen, the last two ones I've really enjoyed was Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. James Bond fan. I love the films. I can watch them all day quite happily. When Sky changed one of the movies over to Sky 007, I was in bomb heaven, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, I just sat. Made a change time. from a usual porn heaven. Yes. Yeah. Which, funnily enough, I'm coming to that as well. <laughs> but no, I definitely Sky Falcon. It was a fantastic film. It rounded off our trilogy of great films. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we have not long come out of a screening of The Thieves, a South Korean film from last year. It's going to be released. I'm pretty sure, probably not nationwide. It will be on limited release at some point this year. Um, it's essentially. A heist film. Um, a heist film of a, a very high calibre, I think. Uh, really, really well done. Um, the idea is that uh, a gang of thieves, uh, led by a guy called Popeye, I believe. It, it, was, it was his name. Um, they need to um, get away from the heat. The police are on their tail from their latest heist. Uh, and they head to Macau in China to rob a casino. And they put together a team... Uh, to rob this casino might sound a bit like Ocean's Eleven. I, I'd, I'd like to think of it as Pacific Ocean's Eleven. Oh, <laughs> brilliant! Yeah. <laughs> Been working on that for a week ever since I knew I was coming <laughs> to see this film. Um, but yeah, o- over to you. The first step. But what did you think of this film? The film itself, I, I really liked. I thought the action scenes were good. The characters were—it's a really good mix of characters. Actually, the, the female characters bounced off each other really well. The lead males were what you expect to be from the lead males, and there was that comedy element in there as well. So, uh, all in all, I thought it was really good. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of chemistry between all the actors on that two seasons, just even the ones with the bit parts and the names. So it completely excluded because I just watched it, but the, the older ones, particularly, had a lot of chemistry, which 
eventually acted on. Clink, clink, spoiler alert. <laughs> but no, it's, there were a lot of chemistry in the action. I really enjoyed the film. It, a bit of it, the adventure action, there's obviously thrill aspects to it as well. Particularly the ending, you, you don't know what's going to happen. I think I put my jack on three times thinking it was done, and, and then it changed again. Yeah, it, it seemed to have more endings than Return of the King, but I... I didn't mind. I kept thinking the film was ending and it would carry on. In fact, I think the first action film that did that to me was Speed, where Speed kind of felt like it was ending. It's like, right, now we've got this whole bit down in the subway kind of thing. Uh, and this did that about four times where you think it's come to... But, but every time I thought, OK, there's more of this. Fine. It, was, it wasn't a sense of... Oh God, they're dragging it out, kind of thing. I thought that was a big difference between that and films of itself, where even just speed, they seem to add that last ten minutes yeah. in just because. But with this, it, it added more to the story. It wasn't just oh, we just add on ten minutes here. It was continuing the story, it was telling more. And you know, it didn't drag at any point in the movie either. It did go at a really fast pace, but there was nothing in there that you thought. Well, this is just filler. Yeah, it just wasn't yeah. there. Um, strong theme. You, you've already mentioned the chemistry. I think. One thing that really, really surprised me was how strongly uh, written the female characters were in this film. They were as important a part as of the film, and in some cases more important, uh, than a lot of the male characters. And when you compare it to something like Ocean's Eleven, for example, which is one of its obvious influences, um, and you think back to Ocean's Eleven, all the best characters in that were men. Yeah. Uh, and that's very much a Hollywood weather. This seemed to be a lot of strong women. Yeah, is I, that something you noticed? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the, there was three strong women. I think the one day was alluding to earlier on, her name was Chewing Gum. That's funny yeah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> which, which was great. I thought the names were good. Like the, you said Popeye, I think there was one mm. called Pepsi and things like that. But the way the, the, the female, the characters worked alongside each other, but they were also in competition with each other, I think I thought it was really, it was really interesting the way they'd done it. And it was, not going to spoil it, there was the jail scene, getting out of jail, and there was one coming back to uh, take a younger the younger female's crowd and things like that it was it was really interesting but the only I would say maybe negative point about it would be there was maybe too many stories going on for me at one time I think there was maybe four or five different aspects to it. You really had to sit and watch it. If you took your eyes off it for five minutes, you were you were gone. There was no point in watching yeah. it. Yeah, there were a couple of points. I think even and, and what I did like is it did treat the audience with some respect and treated the, the audience as adults. It certainly didn't spoon feed you the plot. But there, uh, no, I agree. There were one or two points I did suddenly go, right, hang on, who 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 just. What? Uh, exactly. <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, um, and, and kind of like, and then ten minutes later, it started to make sense again. Yeah, and you had to trust that the film was going to take you back there. Mm-hmm. Um, Which there was, it did every time. It no, did every it time. Didn't time any story out. Yeah, exactly. It did. It did tie everything up. Um, and what what I thought was great was it was half heist movie. It was half caper movie. And you mentioned the. Uh, uh, Dave, you mentioned the comedy. Uh, there, were, there was some really good comedy in there. Some, uh, yeah, the I opening sequence. The females as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as with these types of films, the females are usually just as a love interest. They're completely treated equally in this. And they, you may call she tend to have the best lines. I think at the end of the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then it shifted gear at about the right moment to shift gear, and it became like one of those early '90s Hong Kong films directed by John Woo. So. Yeah. There, there literally was something for everyone. In fact, I'd, I'd say the romance was pretty much dialed down. Um, there were hints of it, but there were no kind of scenes where 
the film lost momentum because a boy and a girl had to have that talk or something like that. There, there weren't really many of those scenes. And then when the action came, it was fast-paced, fantastic stunt work, and the kind of film that you don't see very often from Hollywood, there's no CGI. It, no, it was all brilliant it. stunts. And you, Dave, said it reminded you of a police story. It's very police story in the, the angles of taking it. Particularly the, the second one with Jackie Chan's jump through the sign from the bus, it was the same sort of angles, it was the same sort of stunts. I'd say in Hong Kong and Asian era, there's no CGI there, all stuntmen as well as actors, and it was just very reminiscent of that for me. Um, it's just, it did just turn at the right time and it became an action movie at that time, and again, they didn't hold back, and no, as you were saying when we were talking about it, so, like, we just did a good gunfight, and then, then it came. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, did either of you two see The Raid last year? Ish. I've, you, I've, you, I have seen it, but not all at once. Okay, right. But obviously, you've heard of the raid, and oh, that's yes. that's really important because that, yeah, that's an Indonesian film. It's mm-hmm. called. Do you think the thieves has got the the kind of Western appeal to possibly cross over, not to make huge amounts of money over here, but do you think it could yeah. make a dent in in our popular culture? Definitely. I, I think the way it was advertised in the festival was it was a South Korean Ocean's Eleven, and I think it was, it was just advertised as that alone. Yeah. That would get people in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would imagine. So a, a lot of people are sceptical about foreign language films and a lot of pe- people want to go to the cinema to turn off but I know you have to read the subtitles and stuff like that but you want to be involved with this film and you, it's two hours and you're keeping right up with, with, with the action and you're not taking your eyes off the ball and it, it, it's really good that way it keeps you fit so, and I think right to the end as well because of the twists and turns that were in it there weren't too many and there weren't just one or two so it was, it was good in that sense so I would definitely recommend it So a hearty thumbs up from the panel here for The Thieves Hi, I'm here on the sixth floor of what used to be the world's tallest cinema, apparently. No time to actively check these facts. Um, We've just finished watching Stoker, the English language debut from old boy director Park Chan-wook and starring Mia Wozakowska, Matthew Good and Nicole Kidman. We'll give you our instant reaction to that, as well as discussing some of the films that we've seen so far, including the, uh, the exciting looking, put it that way, Cloud Atlas. Who do I mean by we? Well, I'm joined today by Stephen Niche from Popcorn Alex. Stephen, who are you here writing for? And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm here writing for the best film, uh, just covering as many films as I can. I'm looking forward to seeing what the festival has to offer. Excellent, thank you. And I'm also joined by Amy Taylor. Hello, hello. Uh, I'm writing for a website called TV Bomb, and I'm all about horror, really. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So plenty of that. So you're going to be catching some of the, uh, the Fright Fest films? I'm hoping to, yes. uh, depending on returns and things. So fingers crossed. Okay, excellent. <laughs> you can find uh, Stephen at, on Twitter at, at @popcornaddict and Amy is at Trash Taylor. Um, so first off, you two earlier today saw Citadel. Uh, I, I know very little about it, so can one of you tell me a little bit about it and what you thought? I'll go to you, Stephen. Okay. Uh, Sitzel is about uh, a protagonist, of whom I cannot remember the name. Uh, Tommy. Tommy, it yes. is actually, yeah, Tommy. <laughs> uh, witnesses the, an attack on his pregnant wife, mm-hmm. who then winds up in a coma, and he's put in charge of the, of the child. Elsa. Um, Elsa. He is then suffering from acute agoraphobia, scared to leave his his apartment, and he believes he is being terrorised by the same youths responsible for his wife's attack. which, as you said earlier, kind of plays into this, it's kind of a Daily Mail 
I said it was a Daily Mail reader's wet dream in its portrayal of hoodies, uh, but these are no ordinary hoodies. These are very special children uh, who are very evil children. Uh, who are they human at all? It's it's hard to say. And it also stars James Cosmo as this absolute movie stealing turn as a priest uh, who just likes to kick ass, kick children's ass. Uh, <laughs> who's on a quest to kill all these horrible children and help Tommy uh, overcome his fears and uh, survive and escape Glasgow. That's the most important thing is it was filmed in Glasgow um, during the winter and it's it's very Silent Hill in the way it looks. Lots of grey, <laughs> lots of snow, lots of... There's not a lot of joy in this movie, that's what I'm going to say. As you've obviously picked up, uh, the, the morals of the story are a little confused. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it kind of sets up... Uh, a world in which all all children from council estates in Glasgow yes. are evil. Yes. Okay. And uh, once you've come out, uh, overcome that, I actually really enjoyed the film. Mm. Uh, I thought it had quite a lot to say, um, even if it didn't say it in the most politically correct or even justifiable yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but the sound design in the film and the, the effects, I thought, really really worked yeah and it is a low budget film and so by that respect the the effects and especially the sound effects are extremely good they were they were the most frightening parts of it for me when you just heard these far-off cries of these horrible children lumbering towards the protagonist um genuinely creepy genuinely creepy yes yeah a few times especially towards the end it's happened to a lot of things there's a lot of um, urban paranoia as it says in the film brochure the one thing i would contest is it does compare it in the brochure to roman polanski's repulsion And in that sense, I would say it's nothing like Repulsion. It's an extremely different film in a very different vein. It is creepy, but it kind of more analyses fear of, as Stephen said, children, especially hoodies, uh, other people's children, essentially, um, rather than the opposite sex. Okay, okay. So, but you'd recommend it? Yeah, yeah. I, the thing is, uh, it'll keep you on your toes. It's that kind of film okay. where it just keeps surprising you. Okay, brilliant. Um, earlier also today, Stephen, you saw Songs for Amy which all I know is it's, it's the film with Sean Maguire in. That, that's literally what I know about this film. Well, and I you don't even, even know, know who Sean Maguire no, is, no. Um, I just went along. The uh, brochure promised better, like The Hangover, but more yeah. than just The Hangover. Yeah. Um, the film I'd compare it with is probably Once, in mm-hmm. that it's a musical movie uh, mm-hmm. set in, in, uh, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And um, that comparison really doesn't know justice whatsoever, as even does the comparison to The Hangover. Uh, it's not badly acted, and it's not badly shot, but the film never engages with its audience. And it is edited in such a way that any dramatic tension, any wit, any, any life, it's just completely removed from the movie. Um, I can't say I enjoyed it at all. Um, Would you say Sean Maguire is a good actor? As I say, none of the performances are very bad. It's just that uh, none of the characters are at all interesting. Uh, the protagonist really isn't up to the job in that uh, most of the, the plot is left up to the other characters. He's not the most active protagonist in a film I've ever seen. Um, and that plot is still lacking there's, there's no drive at all in the movie and no characters that you can really engage with 
Okay. So worse than the hangover. Uh, worse <laughs> than the hangover, yeah. Goodness just, uh, me, right, yeah. Watch once instead. Okay. Um, Amy, I know um, you went to see a classic film yes. last night. So the great thing about Glasgow Film Festival, you've not just got these great new films and these not-so-great new films that are out in the back. Um, there's a James Cagney retrospective, but you went to see Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I loved it. Um, it's showing us part of their out of the past mm-hmm. part of the festival, and I'd seen it many years before on TV. And I had to see the chance. I had, I had to jump at the chance to see this film on the big screen. It's new, digitally remastered. Uh, it, they even said at the start that they'd lost the original negatives, so they couldn't even remaster it from the original negatives. It was one of the first ones to be remastered in 2002, but now with better uh, technology, they've done it again. And my God, it's just an astounding film. It really analyzes. It was directed by Billy Wilder, and it just really analyzes the darker side of fame, the addictive nature, and how you know fleeting fame can be uh, for some people. And it's one of those films that's so hard to fault, like the performances, the story, the costumes, the sets, everything about this film is just, it's wonderful to see. And it really, the point Billy Wilder was making was they don't make films like this anymore. They don't make films like Sunset Boulevard anymore at all because there's no directors like mm. Billy Wilder anymore. Um, and it really looks at uh, one actress's inability to move on from the silent film era. It stars Gloria Swanson, who was uh, a silent film actress. Um, who's not been in a film for 20 years. She stars with Nora De- Norma Desmond, and she cannot let go of her fame. She cannot let go. She doesn't see the point in talky movies, um, and she meets William Holden's character, and she thinks he's going to help her make a film script, but she falls in love with him. He does not feel the same way. It's an absolute tragic love story as well. It's just one of those films that stays with you. I saw it years ago, and I always remember the end scene and the beginning scene, and it's creepy, genuinely creepy at the end. Brilliant, Okay. Right, okay. Well, the the huge elephant in the room right now <laughs> is what did we think of Stoker? Um, it, it was interesting. I, I came out of the cinema uh, and bumped into Stephen, and he kind of looked at me and said, "What was that?" <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think anyone really knows what to expect no. from Stoker. It's kind of been built up. Uh, it's been hyped to a degree as mm. as the new film from Park Chan Wook. Yeah. Um, and going in, it's really just the title that hangs over the film. It's yeah. so, yeah. so evocative, Stoker, mm. especially mm. for someone... like I, I love horror films, mm-hmm. and I know you love mm. horror films. And to then watch the film, ignore that. Even in the film itself, Stoker is the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Just watch it thinking, when are we going to address the fact that this is, this is named after the, the author of Dracula? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it never addresses that. Mm. Even now, I'm not quite sure how it relates to. Yeah. I kept expecting Matthew Good to come in with like a cape over his face, like Bella Lugosi, <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know, um, it's it's beautifully shot. That's one thing I have to say about it. It's really wonderfully shot and edited together. It's very art house in its feel. Yeah. Um, but the story itself of a young girl whose father dies on her 18th birthday, and then this mysterious uncle comes to stay. Mm. It nothing really seems to happen it's all quite that's one thing also it's kind of quite obvious the uncle isn't exactly who he says he is and people start disappearing not long after he appears and people seem genuinely frightened of him but her mother is completely taken with him she's oddly taken with him as well there's these incestuous vibes Uh, but again that's also unclear it's um it's an unsatisfying film in that it leaves you with questions but not in a good ambiguous way it kind of leaves you going well what what was that what did i just watch 
what's going on? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And um, yeah, the unanswered questions are, are the worst. And character motivations in mm. there. Yeah. There are just so many character decisions which don't feel true to the character they've built up. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, with that, yeah, not going to spoil anything, but you see. Uh, good guys turn into uh, potential rapists at the drop of a hat. Yes. Uh, that felt that very, very awkward. It did feel a little bit... At times it reminded me of those those early 90s films that Hollywood doesn't seem to make anymore. A bit like that, uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle mm. or Malice. That yep. that kind of sensual, semi-erotic... Thriller. Thriller yeah. with a bad guy and a femme... And it felt a little bit like it owed a debt to those... Mm. Um, but it was taking itself far more seriously than that. And it, like you said, I think unsatisfying is mm-hmm. something that is very, very true about it. Mm-hmm. Stephen said he never wants to watch it again as, far, <laughs> as long as he lives. Uh, again, an instant reaction, but yeah, I can, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I, part of me doesn't want to watch it again. Part of me wants to watch it again just to see if I completely got it wrong. But, you know, mm-hmm. because... It promised so much, and as you uh, told me beforehand, uh, the script for this was on the the black uh, the black book list uh, of the the hottest unmade scripts in Hollywood, and mm-hmm. uh, and we do need to just yeah that was written by Wentworth Miller, the pretty guy from uh, Prison Break, yes. which still feels a little bit odd to me. Yeah, um, I, when I saw his name popping up a few yeah. times, I think it was producer as well. I yeah. was like, oh, so he's just given money to the film. And, oh, he wrote it as well. <laughs> okay, uh, this changes it. But you know, not not a reflection of Wentworth Miller. I don't know mm. what when he gave them the script, what then the people involved in the film did with it, yeah. and if they chopped and changed it, or you know, they lost something in editing, or the studio put pressure on them to have it out by a certain date, or to change parts of yeah. it. We really don't know. No. Um, but it just doesn't live up to expectations. But when you make a film like Old Boy, as I said earlier, how can you, how can you, you know, outdo yourself with Old Boy? It's such an amazing film, yeah. and this just can't follow it. Fair enough. Um, it's commentary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a directors, writers, yes. stars, commentary. Nicole Kidman going, I like my dress in this scene. That's maybe yeah. the only thing she says. The thing is, it's a good cast. It's a really strong cast, mm. but they're all... You want more from them, but they're maybe trapped by their characters. Or even Nicole Kidman, she's an Oscar winner. and mm. Yeah, the, the character of Mrs. Stoker, she just very cold maybe that was her character but it just didn't yeah. sit right I think for a film that was hyped as much as it was yeah. it needed to deliver more than it did and I yeah. think that would be a fair reflection um, later on tonight we have the first showing uh, first official showing in the UK of Cloud Atlas um, I know that I've lucky, I've been lucky to have seen it at a preview I know you've seen it twice Stephen and once in Russian in Russian yeah completely um, in Russian completely in Russian <laughs> uh, I watched it in Russia with a Russian audience and and still, I took quite a lot away from it um, because visually, I think it's a very impressive film. Um, the sense of poetry kind of transcends the script, and a lot of the, the decisions that the filmmakers have made to adapt this from David Mitchell's mm-hmm. source novel um, really elevate it, I think. And uh, there is the sense of, of symmetry and of recurrence, uh, which isn't repetitive. and creates a film I feel that kind of trumps most of the other films that I've seen mm. in the last few months especially around Oscar season where you have three hour diatribes on everything from <laughs> slavery to faith to yeah. love mm. and here comes Cloud Atlas a film that's been sullied countless times yeah. in its run up to release 
and yet it touches on each of these ideas in the same time as as the other films and it still finds time for laser battles mm. and for <laughs> Jim Broadbent his misadventures trying to escape an old people's yeah. home it's just it feels like it's taken all of the great aspects of every other film I've seen this year yeah. and created something more yeah I, I, I totally got, I, it was one of the films that I went in thinking okay I, I was worried it, I thought this is going to be worse than the, the second two Matrix films and when I finished watching I was like actually no I think I, I like this as much as The Matrix and that if, more, if, not, if more. not more and that completely threw me the other thing that really shocked me was how six completely separate storylines being chopped and changed and cutting to and sometimes you'll cut through four of the storylines in about 20 seconds and it just this film's momentum it doesn't let up for a second does it, it I, I was really surprised it didn't sack for a film that's nearly three hours long about six different stories there isn't really a boring moment in it it keeps going it's got its own self-propulsion uh, at points um, so much so that you kind of forget some of the there are ridiculous elements to it yeah. We, yeah, we've spoken about that you could laugh at Cloud Atlas and if I'd seen it on a different day or in a different cinema even a different time of my life yeah. I could have I could have just laughed at every every single aspect, mm. but I just seemed to see it at the right time, and it, it really, really connected with me. Um, and I can understand other people's reactions, but personally, I just thought it was phenomenal. Mm. And then you look at the cast. I mean, Halle Berry, uh, Tom Hanks. A lot of these actors are kind of of renowned for playing similar yeah. similar characters. And in this, in the space of three hours, you just they, they break out of every pigeonhole that has ever been yeah. ascribed to them. And the, the, the performances are incredible. Yes. Don't you agree? You no, I definitely agree. Um, and I think it's a shame because a, a couple of accents are misplaced. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks is gangster, Irish gangster, I think, I, I think. But at the same time, he's actually got a sense of menace as the character, and if, if you allow yourself not to be taken by the fact that his accent is so terrible, you believe him as a gangster, and you exactly are. I do think the best performances are from people who are what we would probably see more as the character. I think Hugo Weaving is absolutely fantastic in it. Um, Jim Broadbent is brilliant. But also Jim Sturgis I was really impressed with. Um, and James Darcy as well. I, I, there are all round some really, really good performances. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just so surprised. Considering the kicking it seems to have had, I was surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did. I genuinely really, really enjoyed it. Probably from the last 12 months up there with the likes of Argo um, in terms of the big Hollywood films that I've enjoyed. It's right up there. Um, great fun. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, I'm surprised that it's not been nominated for anything because obviously there's makeup, which no film could come close to, to Cloud Atlas in no. terms of aesthetics or, yeah. or special effects even. And then adapted screenplay. You've got a, a filmmakers who bravely strayed from the source material yeah. and added something when a lot of adaptations are yeah. faithful to their to their own detriment. Yeah. Um, but then even best film, I mm. just think there's so much going on in Cloud Atlas that it really does deserve Academy attention. 
No, I totally agree. Again, when again when you look at the the expanded list of films, I, I cannot see why it's not just been given a bit of a nod there because it's I, I, this along with Les Misérables is probably the most ambitious film I've seen, and sometimes I just want ambition to be rewarded, especially when it doesn't completely fall flat on its face, mm. which this film doesn't. This film pretty much carries out everything it wants to try and achieve which is when you consider what it's trying to achieve is a fantastic achievement so I really really hope people do go and see Cloud Atlas it's the most expensive independent film ever made and it, I'm, I worry <laughs> I worry for its investors because it has failed miserably so far but fingers crossed it gets an audience over here um, well thank you very much you two for joining me uh, what else are you planning to see for the rest of the festival anything that you're particularly looking forward to now that Stoke has let you down I've got um <laughs> Daleks Invasion Earth next weekend. Oh, nice. Which I'm really quite looking forward to. Um, there's a couple of things. Uh, I was booked in to see Scarecrow, uh, but the film festival are no longer showing that. Uh, so I'm seeing an old uh, Jack Nicholson film, uh, which sounds very promising, and I've forgotten the name of it, but it sounds very good okay. from what I can remember. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, an, an interesting next weekend for me. Yes. And, Steve, you're here for Much Do About Nothing next much weekend, aren't yes, you? Yes, I am. Yeah. There's a, a brown-coated weed night. Uh, <laughs> I wait to, to witness much ado about nothing excellent well thank you very much for joining me really appreciate it cheers thank you so um other films we've seen at the festival i'm going to start off uh first with men at lunch um it's a, an irish documentary which is about the photo that everyone knows actually the the famous photo of is it seven or eleven? Eleven. Eleven. Uh, eleven guys having their lunch on a girder um, about fifty f- stories above. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, 30 well, Rock. Eh? 30, it's Thirty Rock. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's that picture that's been used in everything. Um, but this documentary aims to find out more about that picture, what, uh, how that picture came into being, and who's in the picture. Um, I'll start with you, Dave. Um, your thoughts are on the documentary as a whole? It was a good idea, I think. Um, I did like the fact, also, I went to establish what was actually going on at New York at the time, what was, why was the picture taken in the first place. Um, also, it does go into that in a bit of detail, but I just thought it dragged on. Mm. I, I think it was about another 20 minutes, and for me, that was about at least 30 minutes too long. They, yeah. do, they started to go off on tangents throughout it, and at one point, they mentioned 9 11, which means actually made me angry at the TV why you mention this it's got nothing to do with the photograph um, but it's good ideas I like what they did when I know they've only identified two people in the photo and then there's two Irish Americans who are adamant their dads are in it so all of a sudden it cuts to Ireland and a pub you know nice yeah. <laughs> way to stick to the stereotypes um, <laughs> but no it's definitely good it's definitely worth a watch I just think it was too long but I don't think you'd have thought it was Irish either. You know, mm. it focuses a lot on the American culture at the time. Yeah. Well, it does go into tangents about the, you know, the, 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 the again. There's any tangents about watching the city growing through the twenties and the thirties and then the Great Depression and cause into the slums in the Bronx where the Jews and Irish are staying and so on. Because um, then it quite a lot of tangents. And I, I know it mentions as well the iron workers at the time where basically paying danger money you know it was very weird to see an old iron worker they either died in the job or they fell and were crippled um, so definitely because into stories about what it was like to work at the time and where would the workers come from what were they probably doing etc 
Um, so, I mean, I did enjoy it, I just thought it was a bit long. Okay. Paul? Um, I, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was, it was really interesting to see it was a film documentary made in such a way where it's based around a photograph like, rather than a central cast. And I thought, this photograph is synonymous with a lot, a lot of people. And when you go to America, that's when you, it's one of the places where, if, I'm going, if I would ever go, I've never been to New York, but if I ever go to New York, it's one of the places I would want to go to Teddy Rock to see it, mm. see what, how, actually how high these guys were up sitting. I've got my reservations about it being staged, about it being a wee bit fake. Mm. I know they say in, in the documentary it's proven to be real and things like that, but there's no definite proof about it. And he does say that, he can't prove it 100%. Yeah. You need to get the experts admin as well. Yeah. But the way, the way it does, it does go off on a lot, an awful lot of tangents, but the, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that wants to see it, because it, it won't really ruin it because there's so much to it. Um, identifying two of the guys from another photo which is similar, which I'd never seen before. A lot of mm. photos in the film I'd never seen before. Why didn't they follow up the leads to find out more about the guys rather than going off on this Irish tangent, mm. which it seemed it really wanted to do because it was an Irish-based production? I think that was the problem with it. They wanted to make it more Irish than it probably should have been. I think I know. I think that's fair. And you mentioned the other photos, and one of the most interesting parts of the film for me was quite near the beginning where they're going through the the Rockefeller Center books, archives, yeah. uh, and it's all the and you you suddenly realise there are hundreds of photos just as interesting and striking yeah. as this and seeing the pictures of the photographers taking photos kind of in their spats and, <laughs> and, and, and the fact that they were, they were dressed like they were going to an Italian-American wedding or something like that and then up with these huge bits of equipment it's not like us with our mobile phones these days yeah. massive bits of equipment glass uh, glass film and stuff like that well absolutely no safety equipment uh, yeah. either I, and I was just thinking how, how did none of these photographers die and stuff like that it was that uh, the other bit I found really interesting was the the Corb I think it's called the um, yeah the Corbis collection where in the heart of the mountain where they've got like originals of all the, that I, I could that have spent another documentary just yeah, going through uh, the Corbis collection that was fantastic and because I know they go into a bit of detail on it that it's all the iconic American pictures are basically in there mm. and it's, that is a documentary on its own yeah well, you see pictures of Marlon Monroe Kennedy just before he's shot. Yeah, I mean, you could go on and on. There's a lot of pictures there. Yeah. That's fascinating in its own. Yeah, definitely. Um, Something I did find fascinating as well was that the current iron workers take great pride in that picture. Yes. It's really iconic to them. If anything, it seems to be something they want to aspire to. And that was really, really fun. And it was great because they had uh, a lot of interviews with um, current people who've done that job or who are ancestors of people who've done that job. And they say, you go into any of their houses and that photo's up yeah. on the wall. Uh, and I think that's really, really interesting. And it has... And I did love the mystery around the photo. Um, the fact that we don't know who these guys were. Uh, the fact that it's so famous, kind of in spite or because of that. My, my only problem, I think, uh, like you both said, is about halfway through this documentary, we kind of get resolution on that. Um, we kind of go... I'd, yeah, I'm happy with where we are with that. And then it does go on to... It becomes almost like a kind of... Uh, a who do you think you are? It becomes about a separate documentary after that. Yeah. You know, it's been splitting through. So this is New York at the time and this is yeah. what happened. And that's interesting, but yeah. not in this context. It was a bit of a shame because it was such a good idea to, to, to look at something as iconic because it isn't really... In terms of photographs, we've seen all these other ones, but there's nothing that jumps out here. You. Mm-hmm. you go into any... 
print shop they've got they're going to have a, a canvas print of that picture for folk to buy anywhere in the world and they, they could have done so much more with it I think I think they just fell up short and as I said they wanted to take it into this Irish aspect rather than keeping it focused on the photo yeah I know I think maybe if the second half had been an exploration of how that photo has impacted on society yeah, and things like that like might be more interesting but it did become uh, a, it basically became a, a documentary about Irish immigration into the US and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for, for certain people that will be of interest but that's not the documentary I went to see no I mean yeah. it has, it's an interesting subject on its own but I watched a documentary about a picture yeah you know, not about any more than that. Another film that we've seen, uh, Breakfast at Curtis. Um, you will have seen on the Fell Critics site. This is some. We, we got our first ever interview uh, for this, um, and I'm gonna. I know. I'm gonna put my um, cards on the table and say that I did really enjoy this film before. And it, it's such a shame that we cannot translate. Uh, what Dave just did Dave literally <laughs> put a pack of cards on the table the man is a comedy genius um, I don't know where Scotland has been hiding him all these years um, any takeaways? yeah <laughs> um, but yeah Laura Colella's uh, new indie film Breakfast with Curtis made on a shoe budget uh, shoe budget shoestring budget Got a shoe budget. I don't, maybe there was a budget for shoes. I don't, I, I, I just don't know. Well, there, uh, there we, were mostly barefooted, so I don't think there was. There, yeah, there was a lot of barefoot in this, actually. I'm glad you noticed that as well. Um, I say I like feet. Yeah, it's about um, Sid, who's an eccentric bookseller, uh, delusions of grandeur fueled by red wine. There was an incident five years ago which caused a rift between him and his neighbours. He lives in this bohemian artistic community called the Purple Citadel uh, and he decides to try and heal that rift by asking his neighbour Curtis who's now 14 uh, to come and make videos it's not that kind of film before you know it's a, there isn't there's nothing sinister here uh, but I've Boom. spoken to a few people who've watched it thinking something sinister would happen <laughs> and are kind of disappointed that they didn't uh, that's their own issue um, but yeah it's it's 90 minutes of I'd say quirky comedy fun. drama, um, and I think it is. No, well, I'll, I'll get Dave's thoughts first because I know Dave's seen this. I was, it was very quirky and what astonished me. And I, I didn't know until after the film, but I didn't know that most of the people in it weren't actually actors. You know, it was uh, Laura's friends and family and so on, the housemates. But you would they know that by watching the film? And I know something you touched on earlier is that you wanted to spend time with them. Yeah. So they, they seemed like genuinely warm-hearted people. Like, the house just reminded me of a hippie commune. It yeah. Just looked like, yeah. Oh, so we did smoking pot most of the time, kind of gave away it. But yeah. I, I really want to hate it because it seemed to have no real plot. It seemed to be really unfocused, and it just lurched from story to story to story. Um. Curtis is very socially repressed at the start of the film and pretty much in his shell because of this incident five years ago and then as you say Sid's putting out the great thing saying would you like to help me with business then all of a sudden he seems to be quite confident around about people again and then it keeps going it keeps helping and all of a sudden he's a very chatty young man that gets back to school and it just seems to happen really quick with no explanation so is it just because this little young boy's got a camera now that he's secure to look at it and it just really seemed to just lurch from things, but I liked it, and I don't want to like it, because 
the people were great, they were warm, they were human. The script was terrible. But I really want to hate it. I can't. I don't like it. it I think it's quite interesting because... Um, I, I was very much the same as Dave in terms of... I, I was dreading watching this film um, because it is exactly the type of film that I would... I've turned off so many of this type of film before. The, you know, uh, I struggle to get through Lars von Trier films. I have turned off so many quirky indie-American comedies. But something kept me watching this film apart from the fact that I knew I was going to have to interview the writer-director and actually one of the things about this film was the sense of relief I got at the end where I thought actually I did like it I can talk to this person and be honest and say I did like it mainly because of the things that uh, Dave was saying is I wanted to spend time with these people. There were a number of scenes which had no real point to them. They were just quite nice scenes. There was a, a birthday party at one point. Um, and the, it seemed to me the whole point of that birthday party was just like, wouldn't it be nice to have a birthday party yeah. with these people? They were nice people. But they were playing ping pong as they well. Play, there was a lot of ping pong. There was a lot of ping pong, some smoking of marijuana. Um, they, they, they just seemed like nice. I genuinely... Sid was um, the, the bookseller. Uh, Sid, played by Theo Green. He's uh, he is he's an absolute dreamer and but I just loved listening to him listening to his stories and it, apparently the videos they use in the film were film videos that the young man who plays Curtis had filmed with oh. the man who plays it so they were the catalyst for the story so those videos existed before this film did and they integrated them into the oh, film I know that. Um, so it's re- it's a really interesting way that they've made a film um and I and I don't like to give out marks for credit and you know marks yeah. for effort and stuff like that. But the fact that that film was made as cheaply as it was without professional actors and to come up with the final product they did, I, I'm really really impressed by that. It's definitely not for everyone. No, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, um, and and if you know, it's not for those people who who cannot watch a film with a traditional conflict-based narrative you know there isn't there isn't a bad guy in this there's not really a protagonist no, it's I just a group of people just there and just that it could be a bit moody at times yeah exactly I think that just made them more human yeah exactly and even uh, when they showed the incident of him basically telling Curtis off as a nine-year-old and it taps into that fear I used to hate I used to be really scared of my neighbours. There was always but a neighbour. If you always... kicked the ball in the garden, you were terrified to exactly get it. Right, that's there exactly. was always that neighbour. We used to play football with some garages, and someone's garden backed onto those garages. And if you kicked it over, it was a five-minute walk round. And you dri- and the fact is, I, I now think back, she was an 85-year-old woman. What was my fit? But you just didn't want to go. You just knew that she was horrible and crotchety. One of my neighbours I once called Mate... And he, I'm not your fucking mate. And I was like, whoa, hang on. And but as a kid, you're really scared of neighbours. And you think back now and go, well, they were just dicks, yeah. or, or they were just old people who didn't like children. Up. Exactly. But it really tapped into that childhood fear there. But even then, I watched and thought. I'd probably say something to a kid that was doing what I thought Curtis was doing as well. I'd have been a lot worse of it. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. you would have promised to do more than crush his skull. Yeah, I think I should. <laughs> I deserve a little one. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that, that's Breakfast with Curtis. Tonight, Dave and I are going to see the surprise film. Um, what do you think it might be? I hope it's porn. Hope it's what? Porn? porn yeah. You, you hope we're going to see 90 minutes of porn in a crowded cinema? I don't care if it's crowded or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
I'll shout duck. I'm glad I'm not coming. Yeah, I'm sat next to this man, and I'm 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 concerned he gets a bit touchy feely now. I'll kill you. I'll kill you, duck. <laughs> You've heard the Dutch brother. It's not gay. Oh jeez. Um, yeah. So on that bombshell, um, per, I, I, I've I've heard a lot of rumours. I hope it's Oz the Great and Powerful because I really like the Oz mythology. But I, I just want to get that recorded. So if it is that, I can go. Ha ha! Told you yeah. so. Um, but yes, you, you sadly won't be joining us, Paul, and no. probably probably gladly now. Yes, yeah, I've said that. Yeah. Probably yeah. if I don't I mean, for you, son. Don't Right, so now it is time for Triple Bill, the uh, the Fell Critics session where we choose three particular films along a given theme and given that we're at the Glasgow Film Festival and given I'm in Scotland with two genuine Scottish men. I hope so. Yeah, I'd hope so. I've not checked under their kilts. Um, <laughs> to be fair, they're not wearing kilts, so I don't know how genuinely Scottish they are. But I'd, I'd haggis some uh, breakfast roll this morning. So oh, that's all right. Did, uh, with, I'm only joking. Oh, you did not? Oh, man. I'm so disappointed there. <laughs> I had heroin. Yeah, had heroin. Oh, that's fine then. That's good. Um, heroin and tennis. Was that, super was lager. That your breakfast? Deep fried. Yeah. Deep fried heroin and super lager. For the win. <laughs> So we're going to choose our three films based in Scotland, three favourite films based in Scotland. I'm going to ask you, Dave, um, in reverse order then, what are your... Are you Actually, are yours in any order if no. you've got three? I've just got three. You've got... Just yeah. Hit me with your three films then. Right. Well, the first film then. First one was Gregory's Girl. Gregory's Girl, yeah. nice, yes. It's, it doesn't matter that it's set in Scotland, it's just the, the story of a teenage boy. Mm. Gets his first crush. She doesn't really like him back. And... Obviously, he ends up going with a pal, and I'm sure he sticks four fingers up. I'm, I'm sure that happens. <laughs> but, oh, that no. was the point. This podcast suddenly crossed the line. <laughs> I'm surprised it took you this long, Dave. Yeah. Told you, professional. Yeah, that's right. No, but as it is just one film. It doesn't matter where it's set. And ideally, for me, he's got a bit of football in it, so crosses both my worlds. But it's just the fact it's a teenage boy who's through puberty, really. And we've all had that. Well, we're all guys. We've all had that one yeah. girl in school that we had the crush on that we couldn't get and so we just settled with up a house <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's, and it, it's one of the few um, really good films that features football as well that's uh, you know, and, and quite often the good the good football films are the ones that aren't actually about football Gregory's Girl's not about football no, part of it Kez uh, has got that fantastic football scene in it but um, no, you're exactly it is just it could be from anywhere yeah. that film and it, you've got a I know um, Dee Hepburn they sent her to Partick Thistle's training for six mm. weeks so the, the football scenes were realistic as they could be mm. and I know all the guys in the film the, the pupils they did play football for various different boys clubs oh, okay. and at the time so they made sure that was as realistic as it could be even though it was only part of the story Okay, yeah. I just happened to be where the crush started ok oh, that's cool um, ok your second film then uh, my second film was The Debt Collector the debt collector. Yeah. Remind, oh, I don't know that. Hang I on. I don't think you'd ask my No, that. no. Look at you throwing me a yeah. curveball. Uh, Billy Connolly, of all people's uh, okay. headliner. It's he, his character's Nicky Dryden, and that's roughly based on Jimmy Boyle, which is a gangster cut artist from Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Boyle served time for murder in 1967 in Berlin Prison, the toughest prison in Scotland. Um, and there he basically changed his ways, became an artist, and he's done all the while well, still in prison. Once he came out, he became a respectable artist, and he's written books, films, etc. Um, so Billy Connolly's character was set on him, um, but that was pretty much where he stopped. But the basic premise of the film is Nicky Dryden gets, left, uh, gets arrested by Gary Kilty. 
who is played by Ken Stock. Um, and this is in the late 70s because he was a loan sharks enforcer, which is where the big life the title comes from. Because he's been enforcing the loan sharks, doing things to people that he you know, shouldn't be feeling. His particular trait was that Barbon attacked the person who stopped any wage, he'd attack somebody's family. You know, so it was a bit more personal to an extent. So he gets arrested, puts him in jail, and Nicky Dryden does something similar, you know, comes out of jail, stunt, you know, changed his ways, becomes a sculptor. At his first show with his wife as a journalist now, he's completely changed his ways. He's a respectable member of society now. Kilty comes in and basically says, you have not paid your debt to society, I've not forgot about you, I'll make sure you suffer. So the, the, the detective's just not going to let it go. At the same time... It's a bit like Les Mis, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I will take your word for it, you pair of nonsense. <laughs> oh. Um, at the same point, there's a character called Flappers, played by Ian Robertson, who approaches Nicky Dryden and he's basically approached him for work because he wants to base his life on Dryden, because he wants to be the debt collector. Um, uh, Nicky Dryden tells him, you know, Bill Conte, no, do one. The, the best line of film, I'm not the headbangers William Wallace anymore, get to fuck. And it's just that he's determined he's changed his ways, he's a better human being, but Kilty's just not going to let him do it. Um, so if you've not seen the film, we're going to get into too much mm. for here on in, but the big ending is basically a knife fight between the two, mm. which Dryden comes out and talk. Mm. But it's totally devastated his life and his body, you know, he ends up disabled because it and society shuns him again. <laughs> it's just a really dark grip of colour, which I can't, it's film 4 made it in 1999. I can't emphasise it, I've watched that film, it's mm. fantastic. Billy Connolly, I've all people, had a great performance in it. Brilliant. Oh, thanks, Dad. No, I, I genuinely didn't know that film at all, so that, that's brilliant. And your final choice, then? My final choice was Unleashed. Unleashed? Yeah, which sounded Glasgow 2005. Yeah. Um, Jet and Bob Hoskins are the main characters in it. There's a partnership you never thought you'd see, would you? Yeah. I'm not going to lie, that's the reason I watched the film to start with. What? Jet Lee and Bob Hoskins, this can only end well. I imagine there's a lot of talking scenes, you know, a lot of scenes where they just sit down and converse on all sorts of... Oh, there's, there's <laughs> lots of tea and sandwiches. <laughs> the prawn sandwich brigade at Celtic Park come out. Um, but no, it's just a fantastic action film. Yeah. Actually, film, very similar to Fees, actually. A lot of action in it, there's a lot of fellas in it as well. And um, Danny, who's played, played by Jet Lee, uh, they call him Danny the dog in it, because Bob Hoskins, whose character's Bart, basically controls him. He's a loan shark as well. I seem to have things about loan sharks. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is something I'm missing out on. Um, but Danny's got the mentality of a child. He's basically Danny. Bart's brought him up like that. Um, but he's got me a call and he's like, as soon as he removes it, he becomes a vicious killing machine and just uses martial arts skills to do it. Um, Morgan Freeman's in it as well, so you know, for no other reason, watch it for that. Um, again, if you're not seeing it too much, I don't want to spoil it for anybody listening, but give it a watch, you know, it's got action, it's got suspense in it, it's got a good ending as well, it's got a happy ending which we all want in these movies. So, good, yes. thank you very much Dave. On Braveheart. And Braveheart, <laughs> I know some fucker would mention Braveheart, fuck's sake. Oh, you don't want it in no my films then? Yeah, I'm um, moving on, yeah, have you got the director's cut of Braveheart and uh, <laughs> the extended, the extended yeah, 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 no, what, go uh, on then, Paul, what, what are your, what are your three films then, Paul? Dave's in a bit left field, mine's in a bit more. I know, I mean, but, He's I, I putting did, bloody research, yeah, hasn't he? I know. I, did, I decided to be awkward. I, yeah. I really haven't. I've went for probably the ones that jump out in most. Um, first of all, Sweet Sixteen with Martin Compton. Mm. It was Ken. It was Ken Roach. Uh, Ken Loach, sorry. Yeah. 
and there's Kez as well as you already yeah. mentioned yeah. Um, basically he played Liam as a boy growing up in a council estate in Greenock really tough time uh, his mum was going out with a pretty much an asshole as you would describe it up here uh, his sister was a bit of a, a down and out with a, a kid when she was really young a um, as we describe it up here aye, well pretty much aye. Um, his mum was in a jail and he started selling drugs and stuff like that the story the story is much more than that it's, it's really good it's like him and his friends trying to make them make, make something of themselves rather than just being as probably as Dave does just goes home and injects himself with heroin <laughs> um, the the main characters in it um, Liam is Martin Thompson who's been on a other Scottish films and done a wee bit more um, William Ruin used to play some ginger guy in River City I can't remember his name played uh, Liam's best pal Pinball which I thought was a great name for a for a main, main character in the film he was really good in it as well he kind of went off the rails towards the end um, and Liam started to make his way in the kind of gangster style world of Greenock if <laughs> you've ever been to Greenock you know what we're talking about it's a wee, How's bit, it's a wee bit rough um, but it's um, when I first watched it I thought oh this is going to be a it's Scottish film it's not going to be that great I watched it when I was really young it was only about 14 or something I watched it and it just really spoke to me because I'm from Adrosan which is about 35 miles from Greenock and I know exactly the area where these guys grew up and how I know people in a similar situation so I, I, it really spoke to me I thought it was really really good so and it, it done quite well on IMDb which really surprised me for a, a film that's so Scottish I would take it with had um, subtitles for English speaking and American people. Yeah, I, I saw I saw it um, probably when it was released. Actually, I saw it in my local arts centre. One of the most depressing hour and a half or so that I've ever spent in the cinema. But it's called us it, a happy walk. <laughs> one for the family. Yeah, done quite well. He done yeah, quite it, well it's, yeah, it, it's it's. It is definitely a, a, a powerful. It's a, it's very much a Ken Loach movie as well, isn't it? It is. It's truth on camera, um, and I, and I think it, it benefits from. I'm pretty sure a number of the ca- a number of people, non-professional actors, first-time yeah. actors, and uh, well, when Martin came up, football, acted one of the movies. Oh, okay. he, he played for Greenock Walkway, think. Okay. One of, one of the boys that was played his pal. I can't remember who it was. Um, trying to remember the names. Some crackers of names. Pinball and there was uh, Sidekick, I think it was one of the other boys' names, and one of them actually ended up in the jail. Oh, so okay. I just yeah. they weren't professional actors. These boys were went through an addition stage, and it was like a local thing. It was advertised, or oh, a Scottish movie, and these boys have been, and they have been actual local Neds, yeah. and they've got they've been a wee bit clear for the camera. But one of the boys came the wrong track and ended up in the jail, which is a shame. But yeah. I always have that film. Mm. It's 11 years old, and it makes me yeah. feel old actually. Shop. <laughs> so your second choice then, Paul? Right, it's probably the second most famous Scottish film of all time, Trainspotting. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, I'll put my hand up here and go. I had Trainspotting. It's one of my, it's one of my ten out of ten films. Trainspotting. I couldn't not put it in. So good, you know. This, the cast, if I was doing it properly, I probably would have put that in. The cast, the direction, the way, the way it's so dark. But it's so open. It's so eye-opening to to what life could be like for people if they took the wrong track. It's Ewan McGregor is brilliant and it. Kelly Donald, fantastic. Don't you feel a little bit guilty watching Train Spotting now? 
knowing that she was what 16 at the time uh, or well, I was younger you, yeah I know that's true well, yeah. when that I think yeah I think she's a year or two older than me so I don't but I do feel a little bit kind when of that, weird watching it now I got over it when that, <laughs> film, when that film came out came out I was five so it doesn't really bother oh, me oh yeah <laughs> older woman <laughs> so, but when that came out he didn't know about women no it's part of the dinosaur but no it's it's synonymous with Scottish film I think you, when you think of Scottish film you think Ray Pat first and foremost and then you think Tradespotting mm. and it's I would say probably my favourite Danny Boyle film as well so, yeah. yeah without well probably although he's, he's a fantastic director and yeah. it's really good that um that he did make that, yeah, mm. and and you said, yeah, and yeah, you're probably right. Sadly, I think Braveheart is the film that most people connect with, but I think Trainspotting is just is an honest portrayal of Scotland, warts and all, and the good bits as well. Yeah. There are so, there's so many great bits. The characters in it are fantastic. Yeah, Begbie, um, Begbie especially Robert Coyle yeah. is yeah. fantastic. Like, you go in film as well. So many actors have made their breakthrough because yeah. of it. Yeah. You go into any pub in Glasgow or Edinburgh, rough pub, old man's pub, proper pub, you'll see a character. You look and go, "There's Begbie." Yeah, <laughs> every it's guaranteed to happen because it's Scotland. That's just what happens. I know it's. You're talking with Braveheart, and you think foreign people go Scotland, they think Celts, they think Haggis, they yeah. think uh, quite heavy drinkers, yeah. or they think smelly people that's soon as eating take heroin on the time, so that's pretty much Braveheart and Trace, but it's covered Scotland yeah. in a whole, which is a shame, but there you go. Yeah, and and, again, and um, one of the first soundtracks that I remember buying, I, I remember actually. Think, watching a film going I need to own that soundtrack and that I think the soundtrack of Trainspotting is also such a key part of it because yeah. it, it made it made stars of Underworld for a start yeah. you, know, yeah. you know Born Slippy became an anthem and it wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for Trainspotting I don't think no. but there's there's a load of really great tracks on there um, when I got the soundtrack I paid for to the movie by stealing it from John Menzies <laughs> Judgment. Did you then run down the street to uh, Lost for Life and get chased by people? Damn right, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I did that before we done this. Brilliant. Um, and your final choice then? Right, this is the one I was saying before we started recording. It's going to throw you right oh, off okay. the field. The day after tomorrow. Right, okay. Do you remember the, the scene yes. where the recording in Scotland were in the bunker where they were pretty much trapped? Like, yeah. Sit and watch the, I think it was Man United Celtic game on the Champions yeah. League. I'm a sucker for a disaster movie, so thinking through Scottish movies, I, I was looking through a big list that I found online somewhere, and to, for my sins, I've seen bits and bits of some of them. Mm. Another one, I was, if I'd seen it all, I watched half of it with my dad, it was The Angel's Share, which is another Ken Loach mm. film, which is meant to be really good. I watched half of yeah. it, I was really impressed, but I never watched the whole thing, so I couldn't include it. So I went with it the day after the tomorrow just purely because part of it was in Scotland. I don't know if it was filmed in Scotland, but it was based in Scotland, yeah. so. And I really enjoyed it be- simply because I'm just like, it's like Independence Day, or it's yeah. like Armageddon. It's just like oh, this is big end of the world. Exactly. Yes, exactly. yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I, I'm going to start off my three. I, I don't know if it's cheating to put a documentary in. Well, it isn't it? It's a film. Uh, but but do you know what? What it did is it actually it, it gave me a really positive impression of Park Scotland. And it actually made me rethink what I'd thought about other bits of Scotland. The documentary is called You've Been Trumped. Um, 
it was at, it was on the BBC last year. And it had a cinematic release last year, and it's about the uh, it's about Donald Trump's golf course. So yeah, Donald Trump wants to build a golf course, uh, the the best golf course in the world. Um, and to do so, he has managed to persuade the local council to give him planning permission uh, to basically get rid of a lo- where a load of people live. Um, a local council, and the documentary follows this story, a local, a local green councillor basically spearheads the fight against it um, until the Scottish government, led by Alex Salmon, take it out of their hands and decide to grant uh, permission, uh, regardless of what the local, you know, basically reversing the local decision. And then the documentary goes on to look, it, it does portray Donald Trump as a complete bastard, which I think is an absolutely fair comment. He does yeah, come across as an arrogant dick throughout the entire. Like, but people like him have got a great tendency to be dicks, that's why they Oh, yeah, exactly. Up. And he kind of admits himself. There's this scene where Miss Scotland comes over. Uh, it's at some kind of press event. Miss Scotland comes over. Uh, pardon? It was me and a wig, sorry. Oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> you looked fantastic. Um, and uh, and, right, and right, he goes off and says, we should give her a job. As if, like, he's just, like, basically trying to buy the people of Scotland one by one. Speaking of, man. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Sadly, we have no Donald Trump sponsorship for this podcast. <laughs> I tried desperately. Um... But then it gets really quite sinister because the the filmmaker, Anthony Baxter, has given a few of the local residents video cameras and they start recording the destruction of the local sand dunes because Trump's made it a big part of his his publicity campaign that he's going to preserve these sand dunes. And actually, they end up moving sand from sand dunes to, like, down the road and stuff. It's horrible. And the filmmaker, Anthony Baxter, goes to get uh, an interview with one of the Irish contractors that are working there. And that's another big bone of contention is the fact that Trump is talking about all these local jobs that anyone you see working for him seems to be Irish or American. There doesn't seem to be a single Scottish person working for this project so at all. about at lunch? Yeah. <laughs> and they go to get an interview and then the police come along and the National Union of Journalists speak about this incident and say it's the first time on British uh, in British soil that a journalist has been arrested by the police simply for carrying out an interview and it's Trump has brought the local politicians and the police and it's just I was watching this film it just made me so angry I I was watching this film thinking I'm absolutely fuming simply because I'll be honest I, I, I live in the middle of England and I've always thought I've always said this to my family I've always said if the Tories get in for another period and Scotland goes independent I'm moving up there because they seem to know how to do things better um, you can come back yeah <laughs> but, but but then I was like oh oh, it's, then their politicians are actually the same as our politicians and that really annoyed me because I, I, I did have this idea of Scotland doing things like that a bit better no, I, I generally didn't know there was a documentary about this, but I think you've seen Bang of the Money, it's exactly what happened. And it's just Donald Trump's face with a victory in God, so he's bought off everybody, and yeah. it's disgusting, aren't we? Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. He is a bastard that kind of, I really, really don't like him, and even though we're from the complete opposite end of the country. I think it's ridiculous the way he's going on and about what he's actually doing. Yeah, I haven't seen the documentary as such, but I know exactly what it would be like, and I know exactly 
the way that he comes across because he's such a dick. Yeah. In ge- just in general, he's such a dick. Yeah. And the annoying thing is that he knows he's a dick. Yeah. And he plays and, on it and, and he doesn't care. Yeah. yeah. And I said, he just buys it. He just bought it for everybody. Move house. There you go, there's money. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you should do this. There's money. Morals gone. Which, to be fair, I'd have probably done it for tenner. Yeah. I have no, I have very little morals, but it's. Nah, I didn't like the whole situation yeah. in the first place, but. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, very interesting documentary. Another one of my choices was train spotting, and uh, we've kind of covered that. So I'll go oh, to. Oh, oh, I'll go to my. My final choice, um, and I watched it again last night just to confirm that I love it so much. The Wicker Man. I fucking love The Wicker Man. Fantastic. And do you know what? Not enough films know this. You can you can get your story done in less than ninety minutes. And watching it again last night, it just reminded me how brief it is, but how brilliant that is. It doesn't hang around. Um, Edward Woodward. Uh, again, such a fantastic name. Uh, plays uh, play, uh, plays um, Sergeant Howie, who is called to a Scottish island. I think it's it's set in the Orkneys or somewhere like that, isn't it? It's called Sunrise. So. Oh, oh my God, the Nicholas. Ca- we love Nicholas Cage on Fail Critics, but that's a fucking terrible film. Yeah, well, no, I'm glad that you agree with me. Nicholas Cage is one of this. This planet's finest actors in my opinion. It just grabs a camera bit. Yeah, it does. Um, Look at me, I'm bad shit crazy. Yeah, I exactly. Love you for it. Yeah, course. and I went to see um, I went to see Mark Miller yesterday talking about Kickass too, um, and he talked about his experiences on Kickass. Apparently, Nick Cage came up with the idea to do an Adam West impression while he was when he was being Big Daddy. And that was his idea, and also it was Nick Cage's idea for Big Daddy to disguise himself by gluing on a slightly bigger moustache to his face. <laughs> and, that was, and, and he said that Nick Cage did something different every take. And I, I, I love Nick Cage for that reason. But no, we're talking about The Wicker Man with Edward Woodward. Uh, goes to Summer Isle. Uh, looking for a young girl who's gone missing, presumed murdered, called Rowan. Yeah, comes across a really backward community of full-on pagan, druid, hippie bastards. Um, And it's just so creepy. And and the thing is, it's filmed in such a brilliantly creepy way. You've got the bit where Edward Woodward goes to sleep, uh, Sergeant Harry goes to sleep, having been um, come on by having had the come on from Brit Eklund, and then dreams about her kind of slamming a wall naked. Uh, and she dances around his room naked and stuff like that. It's fucking weird. Um, then you've got children going around wearing animal heads loads of the time. It is, it, and uh, we were talking earlier, uh, we mentioned Dave's got um, the uh, LR Dave from the League of Gentlemen as your ringtone and it has got that and the League of Gentlemen massively heavily influenced by the Wicker Man with that weird creepiness it is so unsettling um, and everything's then everything's done it perfection the, the location's perfect yeah, the oh, acting is yeah. everything's perfect yeah. and um, Christopher Lee playing uh, the Lord of Summer Art is Christopher Lee did that for free just to get the film made he believed in the film so much did that for free and he says it's his favourite role that he's ever done and Christopher Lee is fantastic in it he is I love Christopher Lee anyway he's brilliant and then just and I don't think I'm spoiling anything because I'm pretty sure everyone's either seen The Wicker Man or has at least seen the end of (laughs) Edward Woodward in a burning Wicker Man 
and it's just and then and then it's like that's the end of the film and films don't do that anymore these days just end on a real like oh fuck ah <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, 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 yeah me. exactly and it, it can you know it's a 1973 film I love 1970s horror because they'd gone past the kind of stagey hammer horror of Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff like that but it was before we had all this CGI so they just made really creepy fucking films like The, the Exorcist yeah exactly The Omen The Exorcist The Wicker Man and quite often it was about actually the horrors were people yeah. they weren't some scary monster they were this is what can happen to people and actually people are who you should be scared of I think The Wicker Man is one of the prime examples of that so that's our kind of collection. Did you have any that nearly made your list? I'd quite a lot. I nearly made my list, but I mean, there's many foreign films we filmed in Scotland. Um, Emmanuel in Scotland. Yes. <laughs> Emmanuel body Pinnell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the Angel Share, I was tempted to put it in, but like Paul, I've not seen it all the way through, oh, so I couldn't put it in for definitely. Highlander. I love the series. Highlander was very close on mine. I, yeah. I just love the series, but because I couldn't pick a film, I, I couldn't put it in. Yeah. Uh, it's, too many. I could have thought that was the problem. Well, David mentioned that earlier on. It didn't quite register with me until he said it. Skyfall. You could have made it. Of course, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, no, actually, most of those I think were nearly on my list. I really enjoyed Brave last year, the Pixar film. I, I actually really enjoyed it. But I know See, a lot of people. I'm an adult, on it. so I don't watch. <laughs> it made me cry. It made me cry. So, um, the other one would be Whiskey Galore as well, that's which, a great film. which is that's a great absolutely film. brilliant film as well. Um, an old Ealing comedy, basically uh, a ship gets uh, shipwrecked with a load of barrels of whiskey on an island um, and the local tax inspectors come in and the local villagers have to hide the fact that they've recovered all this whiskey. Um, it's a really, it's a kind of like the people against bureaucracy. It's also really difficult to understand in place as well because it was filmed in the 40s in rural Scotland. So some of the accents are almost impenetrable. <laughs> to my ears, anyway. I'm no, sure. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Thanks very much for that, lads. So that's it for this very special edition of the Film Critics Podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Dave McFarlane and Paul Fisher, as well as Stephen Niche and Amy Taylor, plus, of course, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music. I'd also like to thank Glasgow Film Festival, especially Kirsten Innes, Laura Doherty and Hannah Cosgrove for making me feel so at home here. Uh, I can't forget Brewdog Glasgow, uh, our official sponsors for, for providing me and my guests with a brilliant venue to record, as well as the best pub food and beer in Glasgow. You can find us on the internet at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at, at failedcritics, or you can find us even on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll leave you with this, which, I'll be honest, sounded like a good idea at the time. Right, so that's it from our very, very special Glasgow-based Fell Critics podcast at the Glasgow Film Festival. I'd like to thank Dave McFarlane for attending. Hi! And I'd like to thank Paul Fisher for coming along as well. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, and thank you very much, listeners, for listening to this. Thank you very much, um, 
fuck it, I've forgotten his name now. He's the guy who does the music from Incompetech. Maybe I won't use it at work. No, I'm leaving this. I'm, I'm leaving this in. This is the worst goodbye ever. This is so Steve knows that his job is safe as host of the podcast. Uh, yes, thank you very much to everyone who's listening and goodbye. Here we have. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. That's with a W, isn't it? Yes, it yes. is with a yeah. W. It, it's, it's a rubbish, rubbish play on words with Fight Club. <laughs> But uh, there you go. That was the best we could do when we come up with the name for the website. Um, we cover everything, film, TV, food and drink, gaming. We cover music. And we also have started a podcast to rival you guys, which I'm sure it won't. Um, we have just recorded episode two, which should be out by the time you listen to this. So have a look for us on iTunes if you fancy listening to a bit of British TV nostalgia from the last 20 years. Um, as for films for the past 12 months, one... Recent one that I watched was I've, I've watched quite a few of the Oscar nominated stuff. I would say it was a toss up between Zero Dark Thirty and Les Mis, which is my favourite. I'm going to go with Zero Dark Thirty because I think it was brilliant, save for half an hour of kind of redundant <laughs> scenes, but it was I really really enjoyed it. Um, film that I watched recently, it's been out for a few years, was Up. Mm. I've never seen it and it was on the TV one day I was sitting hungover and I thought ah, let's watch this give it a try I never cried which I've never done at a film which I know you have James oh, quite a lot pretty much every time I'm surprised I didn't cry at the thieves to be <laughs> but um, that jumped out at me as one that I've seen recently that has been really well received critically and by the general public so I, I really enjoyed that so up with him and zero that there excellent and yourself, Dave. Who are you representing today? Um, a lot of people because I'm a bit of a slag. <laughs> um, I'm the head editor and writer of Born Offside, which James will attest to because we do the podcast yeah. for that as well. Um, also, guest with Paul on the SPL podcast, where I swear even more and try and get it sued. Um, I've also been known to appear on Sports Tonight to cover games and do my best soccer Saturday impression, which I'm not very good at, and I swore at him in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I called my Celtic fan. <laughs> I'm the reason for the seven second delay. <laughs> and best film you've seen in the last 12 months? Um, because I, even though I say a movie podcast, I watch a lot of movies, so I'm pointless. But the, the last one that I've seen, the last two ones I've really enjoyed was Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. James Bond fan. I love the films. I can watch them all day quite happily. When Sky changed one of the movies over to Sky 007. I was in bomb heaven, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, I just sat. Made a change time. from a usual porn heaven. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, funnily enough, I'm coming to that as well. <laughs> but no, I definitely Sky for me. It was a fantastic film. It rounded off our trilogy of great films. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we have not long come out of a screening of The Thieves, a South Korean film from last year. It's going to be released. I'm pretty sure, probably not nationwide. It will be on limited release at some point this year. Um, it's essentially. A heist film. Um, a heist film of a, a very high calibre, I think. Uh, really, really well done. Um, the idea is that uh, a gang of thieves, uh, led by a guy called Popeye, I believe. It was, it was his name. Um, 
they need to um, get away from the heat. The police are on their tail from their latest heist. Uh, and they head to Macau in China to rob a casino. And they put together a team uh, to rob this casino. Might sound a bit like Ocean's Eleven. I, I'd, I'd like to think of it as Pacific Ocean's Eleven. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Been working on that for a week ever since I knew I was coming <laughs> to see this film. Um, but yeah, o- over to you the first time. What did you think of this film? The film itself, I really liked. I thought the action scenes were good. The characters were—it's a really good mix of characters. Actually, the the female characters bounced off each other really well. The lead males were what you expect to be from the lead males, and there was that comedy element in there as well. So, uh, all in all, I thought it was really good. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of chemistry between all the actors and actors. She's not just even the ones with the bit parts and. The names so completely screwed me because I just watched it, but the, the older ones particularly did a lot of chemistry, which eventually acted on. Wink, wink, spoiler alert. <laughs> but no, it's, there was a lot of chemistry in the action. I really enjoyed the film. It, a bit of it, the adventure, action, there's also thrill aspects to it as well. Particularly the ending, you, you don't know what's going to happen. I think I put my jacket on three times thinking it was done, and, and then it changed again. Yeah, it, it seemed to have more endings than Return of the King, but I. I didn't mind. I kept thinking the film was ending and it would carry on. But I think the first action film that did that to me was Speed, where Speed kind of felt like it was ending. It's like, right, now we've got this whole bit down in the subway kind of thing. Uh, and this did that about four times where you think it's come to... But, but every time I thought, OK, there's more of this. Fine. It, was, it wasn't a sense of, oh, God, they're dragging it out kind of thing. I thought that was a big difference between that and films of itself, where even just Speed, they seem to add that last time yeah. in just because... But with this, it, it added more to the story. It wasn't just, oh, we'll just add on 10 minutes here. It was continuing the story. It was telling more. And, you know, it didn't drag at any point in the movie either. It did go at a really fast pace. But there was nothing in there that you thought, well, this is just filler. Yeah. It just wasn't yeah. there. Um, strong theme. You, you've already mentioned the chemistry. I think one thing that really, really surprised me was how strongly... Uh, written the female characters were in this film. Yeah. They were as important a part as of the film, and in some cases more important uh, than a lot of the male characters. And when you compare it to something like Ocean's Eleven, for example, which is one of its obvious influences, um, and you think back to Ocean's Eleven, all the best characters in that were men, yeah. uh, and that's very much a Hollywood weather. This seemed to be a lot of strong women. Yeah, is that something you noticed? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the, there was three strong women. I think the one Dave was alluding to earlier on, her name was Chewing Gum. That's funny yeah, enough. Yeah. <laughs> which, which was great. I thought the names were good. Like the, you said Popeye, there was one mm. called Pepsi and things like that. But the way the, the, the female, the characters worked alongside each other, but they were also in competition with each other, I think I thought it was really, it was really interesting the way they'd done it. And it was, not want to spoil it, there was the jail scene, getting out of jail, and there was one coming back to uh, take a younger the younger females crowd and things like that it was it was really interesting but the only I would say maybe negative point about it would be there was maybe too many stories going on for me at the one time I think there was maybe four or five different aspects to it. You really had to sit and watch it. If you took your eyes off it for five minutes, you were you were gone. There was no point in watching yeah. it. Yeah, there were a couple of points I think. Even and, and what I did like is it did treat the audience with some respect and treated the, the audience as adults. It certainly didn't spoon feed you the plot. But there, uh, no, I agree. There were one or two points I did suddenly go, right, hang on, who 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 just. What? Uh, exactly. <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah, um, 
and, and kind of like, and then ten minutes later, it started to make sense again. Yeah. And you had to trust that the film was going to take you back there. Mm-hmm. Um, Which there was, it did every time. It no, did every it time. Didn't time. Any story out. Yeah, exactly. It did. It did tie everything up. Um, and what what I thought was great was it was half heist movie. It was half caper movie. And you mentioned the. Uh, uh, Dave, you mentioned the comedy. Uh, there, there was some really good comedy in there. Some, yeah. uh, you know, the I opening think sequence. The females as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as with these types of films, the females are usually just as a love interest. They're completely treated equally in this. And they, you know, she tend to have the best lines. I think at the end of the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then it shifted gear at about the right moment to shift gear, and it became like one of those early '90s Hong Kong films directed by John Woo. So. Yeah. There, there literally was something for everyone. In fact, I'd, I'd say the romance was pretty much dialed down. Um, there were hints of it, but there were no kind of scenes where the film lost momentum because a boy and a girl had to have that talk or something like that. There, there weren't really many of those scenes. And then when the action came, it was fast-paced, fantastic stunt work, and the kind of film that you don't see very often from Hollywood, there's no CGI. It, no, it was all brilliant it. stunts and you Dave said it reminded you of Police Story it's very Police Story and the, the angles of taking it particularly the, the second one that Jackie Chan's jumped through the thing from the bus it was the same sort of angles it was the same sort of stunts I'd say in Hong Kong and Asian era there's no CGI there all stuntmen as well as actors and it was just very reminiscent of that for me um, as it did just come at the right time and it became an action movie at that time and again they didn't hold back and knows you were saying when we're talking about it so like, we just need a good gunfight and then, then it came yeah <laughs> now um, did either of you two see The Raid last year? ish I've, 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 I've seen it but not all at once oh, ok right but obviously you've heard of The Raid and oh, that's yes. that's really important because that, yeah, that's an Indonesian film mm-hmm. do you think The Thieves has got the the kind of western appeal to possibly cross over not to make huge amounts of money over here but do you think it could yeah. make a dent in in our popular culture definitely I think the way it was advertised in the festival was it was a South Korean Ocean's Eleven and I think it was, it was just advertised as that alone yeah. that would get people in there yeah, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would imagine so a lot of people are sceptical about foreign language films and a lot of people, people want to go to the cinema to turn off, but I know you have to read the subtitles and stuff like that, but you want to be involved with this film, and you, it's two hours, and you're keeping right up with, with, with the action, and you're not taking your eyes off the ball, and it, it's really good, that way it keeps you fit, so, and I think right to the end as well, because of the twists and turns that were in it, there weren't too many, and there weren't just one or two, so it was, it was good in that sense, so I would definitely recommend it. So, a hearty thumbs up from the panel here for The Thieves. Hi, I'm here on the sixth floor of what used to be the world's tallest cinema, apparently. No time to actively check these facts. Um, We've just finished watching Stoker, the English language debut from old boy director Park Chan-wook and starring Mia Wozakowska, Matthew Good and Nicole Kidman. We'll give you our instant reaction to that, as well as discussing some of the films that we've seen so far, including the, uh, the exciting looking, put it that way, Cloud Atlas. Who do I mean by we? Well, I'm joined today by Stephen Nish from Popcorn Alex. Stephen, who are you here writing for? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm here writing for the best film, uh, just covering as many films as I can. I'm looking forward to seeing what the festival has to offer. Excellent, thank you. And I'm also joined by Amy Taylor. 
Hello, hello. Uh, I'm writing for a website called TV Bomb, and I'm all about horror, really. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So plenty of that. So you're going to be catching some of the, uh, the Fright, Fright Fest. Fest films? I'm hoping to, yes. uh, depending on returns and things. So fingers crossed. Okay, excellent. <laughs> you can find uh, Stephen at, on Twitter at, at @popcornaddict and Amy is at Trash Taylor. Um, so first off, you two earlier today saw Citadel. Uh, I, I know very little about it, so can one of you tell me a little bit about it and what you thought? I'll go to you, Stephen. Okay. Uh, Citadel is about uh, a protagonist, of whom I cannot remember the name. Uh, Tommy. Tommy, it yes. is actually. Yeah, Tommy <laughs> uh, witnesses the, an attack on his pregnant wife, mm-hmm. who then winds up in a coma, and he's put in charge of the, of the child. Elsa. Um, Elsa. He is then suffering from acute agoraphobia, uh, scared to leave his, his apartment, and he believes he is being terrorised by the same youths responsible for his wife's attack. Okay. Um, which, as you said earlier, kind of plays into this, it's kind of a Daily Mail it said it was a Daily Mail reader's wet dream in its portrayal of hoodies, uh, but these are no ordinary hoodies, these are very special children uh, who are very evil children uh, who are they human at all it's it's hard to say and it also stars James Cosmo as this absolute movie stealing turn as a priest uh, who just likes to kick ass kick children's ass um, (laughs) who's on a quest to kill all these horrible children and help Tommy uh, overcome his fears and uh, survive and escape Glasgow it's the most important thing is it was filmed in Glasgow um, during the winter and it's it's very silent hill in the way it looks lots of grey lots of snow lots of there's not a lot of joy in this movie that's what I'm going to say as you've obviously picked up uh, the the morals of the story are a little confused uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> it kind of sets up a, a world in which all all children from council estates in Glasgow yes. are evil yes okay. and uh once you've come o- uh, overcome that, I actually really enjoyed the film. Mm. Uh, I thought it had quite a lot to say, um, even if it didn't say it in the most politically correct or even justifiable yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but the sound design in the film and the, the effects, I thought, really, really worked. Yeah, and it is a low-budget film, and yeah. so by that respect the the effects and especially the sound effects are extremely good they were they were the most frightening parts of it for me when you just heard these far-off cries of these horrible ch- children lumbering towards the protagonist um, genuinely creepy genuinely I mean, I creepy yes a yeah. few times especially towards the end of the film. it taps into a lot of things there's a lot of um, urban paranoia as it says in the film brochure the one thing i would contest is it does compare it in the brochure to roman polanski's repulsion mm. And in that sense, I would say it's nothing like Repulsion. It's an extremely different film in a very different vein. It is creepy, but it kind of more analyzes fear of, as Stephen said, children, especially hoodies, uh, other people's children, essentially, um, rather than the opposite sex. Okay, okay. So, but you'd recommend it? Yeah, yeah. I, the thing is, uh, it'll keep you on your toes. It's that kind of film okay. where it just keeps surprising you. Okay, brilliant. Um, earlier also today, Stephen, you saw Songs for Amy which all I know is it's, it's the film with Sean Maguire in. That, that's literally what I know about this film. Well, and you don't even, even know, know who Sean Maguire no, is, no. Um, I just went along, along uh, the brochure promised better, like The Hangover, but more yeah. than just The Hangover. Yeah. Um, the film I'd compare it with is probably Once, in mm-hmm. that it's 
a musical movie uh, set in set in, uh, in Ireland, and um, that comparison really does it no justice whatsoever. As even does the comparison to The Hangover. Uh, it's not badly acted and it's not badly shot, but the film never engages with its audience, and it is edited in such a way that. Any dramatic tension, any wit, any any life is just completely removed from the movie. Um, I can't say I enjoyed it at all. Um, Would you say Sean McGuire is a good actor? As I say, none of the performances are very bad. It's just that uh, none of the characters are at all interesting. Uh, the protagonist really isn't up to the job in that uh, most of the, the plot is left up to the other characters. He's not the most active protagonist in the film I've ever seen. Um, and that plot is still lacking. There's, there's no drive at all in the movie. And no characters that you can really engage with. Okay. So, so worse than The Hangover. Uh, <laughs> worse than The Hangover, yeah. Goodness just, uh, me, right, yeah. Watch Once Instead. Okay. Um, Amy, I know um, you went to see a classic film last yes. night. So the great thing about Glasgow Film Festival, you've not just got these great new films and these not-so-great new films that are out in the back. Um, there's a James Cagney retrospective, but you went to see Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I loved it. Um, it's showing us part of their out-of-the-past <laughs> part of the festival. And I'd seen it many years before on TV, and I had to see the chance... I had, I had to jump at the chance to see this film on the big screen. It's new, digitally remastered... Uh, it, they even said at the start that they'd lost the original negatives so they couldn't even remaster it from the original negatives. It was one of the first ones to be remastered in 2002 but now with better uh, technology they've done it again and my god it's just an astounding film. It really analyzed, was directed by Billy Wilder and it just really analyzes the darker side of fame, the addictive nature and how you know fleeting fame can be uh, for some people and it's one of those films that's so hard to fault, like the performances, the story, the costumes, the sets, everything about this film is just, it's wonderful to see. And it really, the point Billy Wilder was making was they don't make films like this anymore. They don't make films like Sunset Boulevard anymore at all because there's no directors like mm. Billy Wilder anymore. Um, and it really looks at uh, one actress's inability to move on from the silent film era. It stars Gloria Swanson, who was uh, a silent film actress. Um, who's not been in a film for 20 years. She stars with Nora, De- Norma Desmond, and she cannot let go of her fame. She cannot let go. She doesn't see the point in talky movies, um, and she meets William Holden's character, and she thinks he's going to help her make a film script, but she falls in love with him. He does not feel the same way. It's an absolute tragic love story as well. It's just one of those films that stays with you. I saw it years ago, and I always remember the end scene and the beginning scene, and it's creepy, genuinely creepy at the end. Brilliant, Okay. Right, okay. Well, the the huge elephant in the room right now <laughs> is what did we think of Stoker? Um, it, it was interesting. I, I came out of the cinema uh, and bumped into Stephen, and he kind of looked at me and said, "What was that?" <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think anyone really knows what to expect no. from Stoker. It's kind of been built up. Uh, it's been hyped to a degree as mm. as the new film from Park Chan Wook. Yeah. Um, and going in, it's really just the title that hangs over the film. It's yeah. so, yeah. so evocative, Stoker, especially mm. for someone... like I, I love horror films, mm-hmm. and I know you love mm. horror films. And to then watch the film 
ignore that. E even in the film itself, Stoker is the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Just watch it thinking, when are we going to address the fact that this is, this is named after the, the author of Dracula? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it never addresses that. Mm -hmm. Even now, I'm not quite sure how it relates to... Yeah. I kept expecting Matthew Good to come in with like a cape over his face, like Bella Lugosi, <laughs> like what? You know, um, it's it's beautifully shot. That's one thing I have to say about it. It's really wonderfully shot and edited together. It's very art house in its feel. Yeah. Um, but the story itself of a young girl whose father dies on her 18th birthday, and then this mysterious uncle comes to stay. Mm. It nothing really seems to happen it's all quite that's one thing also it's kind of quite obvious the uncle isn't exactly who he says he is and yeah. people start disappearing not long after he appears and people seem genuinely frightened of him but her mother is completely taken with him she's oddly taken with him as well there's these incestuous vibes yeah. uh, but again that's also unclear it's um it's an unsatisfying film in that it leaves you with questions but not in a good ambiguous way it kind of yeah. leaves you going well what what was that what did i just watch What's going on? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And, um, yeah, the unanswered questions are, are the worst. And character motivations mm. in there. Yeah. There are just so many character decisions which don't feel true to the character they've built up. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, with that, yeah, not going to spoil anything, but you see uh, good guys turn into uh, potential rapists at the drop of a hat. Yes. Uh, that felt that very, very awkward. It did feel a little bit... At times it reminded me of those... Those early 90s films that Hollywood doesn't seem to make anymore, a bit like that, uh, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle mm. or Malice, that, yep. that kind of sensual, semi-erotic thriller, thriller yeah. with a bad guy and a femme. And it felt a little bit like it owed a debt to those, mm -hmm. um, but it was taking itself far more seriously than that. And it, Like you said, I think unsatisfying is mm -hmm. something that is very very true about it mm -hmm. Stephen said he never wants to watch it again as, far, <laughs> as long as he lives uh, again an instant reaction but yeah I can I can see that mm -hmm. I, part of me doesn't want to watch it again part of me wants to watch it again just to see if I completely got it wrong but, you know, mm -hmm. because it promised so much and as you uh, told me beforehand uh, the script for this was on the, the black uh, the black book list uh, of the, the hottest unmade scripts in Hollywood and mm -hmm. uh, and we do need to just yeah that was written by Wentworth Miller the pretty guy from uh, Prison Break yes. which still feels a little bit odd to me yeah um, I, when I saw his name popping up a few yeah. times I think it was a producer as well I yeah. was like oh so he's just given money to the film and, oh he wrote it as well <laughs> okay uh, this changes it but you know not, not a reflection of Wentworth Miller I don't know mm. what when he gave them the script what then the people involved in the film did with it yeah. and if they chopped and changed it or you know they lost something in editing or the studio put pressure on them to have it out by a certain date or to change parts of yeah. it we really don't know no um, but it just doesn't live up to expectations but when you make a film like Old Boy as I said earlier how can you how can you you know outdo yourself with Old Boy it's such an amazing film yeah. and this just can't follow it Fair enough. Um, that commentary. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a directors, writers, yes. stars. Commentary. Nicole Kidman going, I like my dress in this scene. That's maybe yeah. the only thing she says. And the thing is, it's a good cast. It's a really strong cast, mm. but they're all. You want more from them, but they're maybe trapped by their characters. Or even Nicole Kidman, she's an Oscar winner, and mm. yeah, the, the character of Mrs. Stoker, she just very cold. 
maybe that was her character, but it just didn't yeah. sit right. I think for a film that was hyped as much as it was, yeah. it needed to deliver more than it did. And I yeah. think that would be a fair reflection. Um, later on tonight, we have the first showing, uh, first official showing in the UK of Cloud Atlas. Um, I know that I've lucky, I've been lucky to have seen it at a preview. I know you've seen it twice, Stephen, and once in Russian. In Russian, yeah. Completely um, in Russian. Completely in Russian. <laughs> uh, I watched it in Russia with a Russian audience, and and still I took quite a lot away from it um, because visually I think it's a very impressive film. Um, the sense of poetry kind of transcends the script, and a lot of the, the decisions that the filmmakers have made to adapt this from. David Mitchell's mm-hmm. source novel um, really elevated I think and uh, there is the sense of, of symmetry and of recurrence uh, which isn't repetitive and creates a film I feel that kind of trumps most of the other films that I've seen mm. in the last few months especially around Oscar season where you have three hour diatribes on everything from <laughs> slavery to faith to yeah. love mm. And here comes Cloud Atlas, a film that's been sullied countless times in its run-up to release. And yet, it touches on each of these ideas in the same time as as the other films. And it still finds time for laser battles Mm. and for (laughs) Jim Broadbent, his misadventures trying to escape an old people's home. It's just, it feels like it's taken all of the great aspects of every other film I've seen this year yeah. and created something more yeah I, I, I totally I, it was one of the films that I went in thinking okay I, I was worried it, I thought this is going to be worse than the, the second two Matrix films and when I finished watching I was like actually no I think I, I like this as much as the Matrix and that if, more, if, not, if more. not more and that completely threw me the other thing that really shocked me was how six completely separate storylines being chopped and changed and cutting to and sometimes you'll cut through four of the storylines in about 20 seconds and it just this film's momentum it doesn't let up for a second does it it I, I was really surprised it didn't sack for a film that's nearly three hours long about six different stories there isn't really a boring moment in it it keeps going it's got its own self-propulsion uh, at points um, so much so that you kind of forget some of the there are ridiculous elements to it yeah. We, yeah, we've spoken about that you could laugh at Cloud Atlas and if I'd seen it on a different day or in a different cinema even a different time of my life yeah. I could have I could have just laughed at every every single aspect, mm. but I just seemed to see it at the right time, and it, it really, really connected with me. Um, and I can understand other people's reactions, but personally, I just thought it was phenomenal. Mm. And then you look at the cast, I mean, Halle Berry, uh, Tom Hanks, a lot of these actors are kind of, of renowned for playing similar, yeah. similar characters. And in this, in the space of three hours, you just they, they break out of every pigeonhole that has ever been yeah. ascribed to them. And the, the, the performances are incredible. Yes. Don't you agree? You no, I definitely agree. Um, and I think it's a shame because a, a couple of accents are misplaced. Yeah. Uh, Tom Hanks's gangster, Irish gangster, I think, I, I think. But at the same time, he's actually got a sense of menace as the character, and if, if you allow yourself not to be taken by the fact that his accent is so terrible, you believe him as a gangster, and you exactly are. I do think the best performances are from people who are 
what we would probably see more as the character act. I think Hugo Weaving is absolutely fantastic in it. Um, Jim Broadbent is brilliant, but also Jim Sturgis, I was really impressed with, um, and James Darcy as well. I, I, there are all round some really, really good performances. Um, yeah, I, I, I was just so surprised. Considering the kicking it seems to have had, I was surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did. I genuinely, really, really enjoyed it. Probably, from the last 12 months, up there with the likes of Argo, um, in terms of the big Hollywood films that I've enjoyed. It's right up there. Um, great fun. <laughs> it is. It's. Uh, I'm surprised that it's not been nominated for anything, because obviously there's makeup, which... No film could come close to, to Cloud Atlas in no. terms of aesthetics or, yeah. or special effects even. And then adapted screenplay. You've got yeah. a, a filmmakers who bravely strayed from the source material yeah. and added something when a lot of adaptations are yeah. faithful to their, to their own detriment. Yeah. Um, but then even best film. I mm. just think there's so much going on in Cloud Atlas that it really does deserve... Academy attention. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Again, when again, when you look at the the expanded list of films, I, I cannot see why it's not just been given a bit of a nod there because it's I, I, this along with Les Misérables is probably the most ambitious film I've seen. And sometimes I just want ambition to be rewarded, especially when it doesn't completely fall flat on its face, mm. which this film doesn't. This film pretty much carries out everything it wants to try and achieve which is, when you consider what it's trying to achieve, is a fantastic achievement so I really really hope people do go and see Cloud Atlas it's the most expensive independent film ever made and it, I'm, I worry <laughs> I worry for its investors because it has failed miserably so far but fingers crossed it gets an audience over here um, well thank you very much you two for joining thank me uh, what else are you planning to see for the rest of the festival? Anything that you're particularly looking forward to now that Stoker's let you down? <laughs> I've got um, Daleks Invasion Earth next weekend. Oh, nice. Which I'm really quite looking forward to. Um, there's a couple of things. Uh, I was booked in to see Scarecrow, uh, but the film fest are no longer showing that. Uh, so I'm seeing an old uh, Jack Nicholson film, uh, which sounds very promising, and I've forgotten the name of it, but it sounds very good okay. from what I can remember. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, an, an interesting next weekend for me. Yes. And, Steve, you're here for Much Ado About Nothing next much, weekend, aren't yes, you? Yeah. There's a, a brown-coated Weedonite. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to, to witness Much Ado About Nothing. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. So, um, other films we've seen at the festival. I'm going to start off uh, first with Men at Lunch. Um, it's a, an Irish documentary which is about the photo that everyone knows, actually, the, the famous photo of is it seven or eleven eleven uh eleven guys having their lunch on a girder um about 50 stories above uh, thank you very much 30 is 30 rock yeah um you know it's that picture that's been used in everything um but this documentary aims to find out more about that picture what uh, how that picture came into being and who's in the picture um i'll start with you dave um your thoughts are on the documentary as a whole? It was a good idea, I think. Mm. Um, I didn't like the fact... Also, I went to establish what was actually going on at New York at the time, what was, why was the picture taken in the first place. 
Um, obviously, it does go into that in a bit of detail, but I just thought it dragged on. Mm. I, I think it was about another 20 minutes, and for me, that was about at least 30 minutes too long. They, do, they started to go off on tangents throughout it, and at one point, I mentioned 9-11, which means actually made me angry at the TV. Like, why are you mentioning this? It's got nothing to do with the photograph. Um, but it's good ideas. I like what they did when I know they've only identified two people in the photo, and then those two Irish Americans who are adamant their dads are in it, so all of a sudden it cuts to Ireland and a pub, you know, nice yeah. <laughs> way to stick to the stereotypes. Um, <laughs> but no, it's definitely good, it's definitely worth a watch. I just think it was too long, but I don't think you'd have thought it was Irish either, you know, mm. it focuses a lot on the American culture at the time. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of tangents about the, you know, yeah, yeah. Try again. There's any tangents about watching the city grow through the 20s and the 30s and then the Great Depression and cause the slums in the Bronx where the Jews and Irish were staying and so on. Because um, I it quite a lot of tangents. And I, I know it mentions as well the iron workers at the time were basically paying danger money. You know, it was very rare to see an old iron worker. They either died in the job or they fell and were crippled. Um, so definitely because I stories about what it was like to work at the time and where would the workers come from, what were they probably doing, etc. Um, so, I mean, I did enjoy it, I just thought it was a bit long. Okay. Paul? Um, I, I enjoyed it as well. I thought it was, it was really interesting to see it was a film documentary made in such a way where it's based around a photograph like, rather than a central cast. And I thought... This photograph is synonymous with a lot, a lot of people. And when you go to America, that's when you go, it's one of the places where if I'm going, if I would ever go, I've never been to New York. But if I ever go to New York, it's one of the places I would want to go to take rock to see it, mm. see what how actually how high these guys were up sitting. I've got my reservations about it being staged, about it being a wee bit fake. Mm. I know that they say in, in the documentary it's proven to be real and things like that, but there's no definite proof about it. And he does say that he can't prove a hundred percent. Yeah. The experts admit as well. Yeah. But the way the way it does it does go off and off and off a lot of tangents. But the, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that wants to see it because it, it won't really ruin it because there's so much to it. Um, identifying two of the guys from another photo which is similar, which I'd never seen before. A lot of mm. photos in the film I'd never seen before. Why didn't they follow up the leads to find out more about the guys rather than going off on this Irish tangent, mm. which it seemed it really wanted to do because it was an Irish-based production? I think that was the problem with it. They wanted to make it more Irish than it probably should have been. I think I know. I think that's fair. And you mentioned the other photos, and one of the most interesting parts of the film for me was quite near the beginning where they're going through the the Rockefeller Center archives, uh, and it's all the and you you suddenly realise there are hundreds of photos just as interesting and striking yeah. as this and seeing the pictures of the photographers taking photos kind of in their spats and, <laughs> and, and, and the fact that they were, they were dressed like they were going to an Italian-American wedding or something like that and then up with these huge bits of equipment it's not like us with our mobile phones these days yeah. massive bits of equipment glass uh, glass film and stuff like that we absolutely no safety equipment uh, yeah. either I, and I was just thinking how, how did none of these photographers die and stuff like that it was that uh, the other bit I found really interesting was the the Corb I think it's called the um, yeah the Corbis collection where in the heart of the mountain where they've got like originals of all the, that I, I could have spent another documentary just yeah, going through uh, the Corbis collection that was fantastic because I, I know they went into a bit of detail on it that it's 
all the iconic American pictures are basically in there. Mm. And it's that is a documentary on its own. Yeah. Well, you see pictures of Marilyn Monroe or Kennedy just in police shot. Yeah, I mean, you could go on and on. There's a lot of pictures there. And yeah. That was fascinating on its own. Yeah, definitely. Something um, I did find fascinating as well was that the current iron workers take great pride in that picture. Yes. It's really iconic to them. If anything, it seems to be something they want to aspire to. And that was really, really fun. And it was great because they had uh, a lot of interviews with um, current people who've done that job or who are ancestors of people who've done that job and they say you go into any of their houses and that photo's up yeah. on the wall uh, and I think that's really really interesting and it has and I did love the mystery around the photo um, the fact that we don't know who these guys were uh, the fact that it's so famous kind of in spite or because of that my, my only problem I think uh, like you both said is about halfway through this documentary we kind of get resolution on that um, we kind of go I'd, yeah I'm happy with where we are with that and then it does go on to it becomes almost like a kind of uh, a who do you think you are it becomes about a separate documentary after that yeah. you know, it's like it's been split in two so this is New York at the time and this is yeah. what happened and that's interesting but yeah. not in this context it was a bit of a shame because it was such a good idea to, to, to look at something as iconic because it isn't really in terms of photographs we've seen all these other ones but there's nothing that jumps out at you you go into any print shop they've got they're going to have a, a canvas print of that picture for folk to buy mm. anywhere in the world and they, they could have done so much more with it I think I think they just fell up short and as I said they wanted to take it into this Irish aspect rather than keeping it focused on the photo yeah I know I think maybe if the second half had been an exploration of how that photo has impacted on society yeah, and things like that mm-hmm. might be more interesting but it did become uh, a, it basically became a, a documentary about Irish immigration into the US yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for, for certain people that will be of interest but that's not the documentary I went to see no I mean yeah. it has, it's an interesting subject on its own but I watched a documentary about a picture yeah you know, not about any more than that. Another film that we've seen, uh, Breakfast at Curtis. Um, you will have seen on the Fell Critics site. This is some. We, we got our first ever interview uh, for this, um, and I'm gonna. I know. I'm gonna put my um, cards on the table and say that I did really enjoy this film before. Uh, and it, it's such a shame that we cannot translate. Uh, what Dave just did Dave literally put a pack of cards on the table the man is a comedy genius um, I don't know where Scotland has been hiding him all these years um, any takeaways yeah <laughs> um, but yeah Laura Colella's uh, new indie film Breakfast with Curtis made on a shoe budget uh, shoe budget shoestring budget Got a shoe budget. I don't, maybe there was a budget for shoes. I, don't, I, I, I just don't know. Well, uh, they were we, mostly barefooted, so I don't think there was. There, yeah, there was a lot of barefoot in this, actually. I'm glad you noticed that as well. Um, like yeah, it's about um, Sid, who's an eccentric bookseller, uh, delusions of grandeur fueled by red wine. There was an incident five years ago which caused a rift between him and his neighbours. He lives in this bohemian artistic community called the Purple Citadel uh, and he decides to try and heal that rift by asking his neighbour Curtis who's now 14 uh, to come and make videos it's not that kind of film before you know it's a, there isn't there's nothing sinister here uh, but I've spoken mm. to a few people who've watched it thinking something sinister would happen <laughs> and are kind of disappointed that they didn't uh, that's their own issue um 
but yeah, it's it's ninety minutes of I'd say quirky comedy fun. drama, um, and I think it is. It, no, well, I'll, I'll get Dave's thoughts first because I know Dave's seen this. I was it was very quirky and. What astonished me, and I, I didn't know until after the film, but I didn't know that most of the people in it weren't actually actors. You know, it was uh, Laura's friends and family and so on, the housemates. But you would they know that by watching the film. And I know something you touched on earlier is that you wanted to spend time with them. Yeah. So they, they seemed like genuinely warm-hearted people. And the house just reminded me of a big hippie commune. It yeah. just looked like, yeah. oh, so we had smoking pot most of the time, kind of gave away it. But yeah. I, I really want to hate it because it seemed to have no real plot it seemed to be really unfocused and it just lurched from story to story to story um, Curtis is very socially depressed at the start of the film and pretty much in his shell because of this incident five years ago and then as you say Sid's you know, putting out the great things and would you like to help me with business then all of a sudden he seems to be quite confident around about people again and then it keeps going it keeps helping and all of a sudden he's a very chatty young man that gets back to school and it just seems to happen really quick with no explanation so is it just because this little young boy's got a camera now that he's secure for lack of a better term and it just really seemed to just lurch from things but I liked it and I don't want to like it because <laughs> the people were great they were warm they were human the script was terrible but I really want to hate it. I can't. I don't like it. it I think it's quite interesting because um, I, I, I was very much the same as Dave in terms of... I, I was dreading watching this film um, because it is exactly the type of film that I would... I've turned off so many of this type of film before. The, you know, uh, I struggle to get through Lars von Trier films. I have turned off so many quirky indie-American comedies. But... Something kept me watching this film, apart from the fact that I knew I was going to have to interview the writer-director. And actually, one of the things about this film was the sense of relief I got at the end, where I thought, actually, I did like it. I can talk to this person and be honest and say I did like it. Mainly because of the things that uh, Dave was saying. Is I wanted to spend time with these people. There were a number of scenes which had no real point to them. They were just quite nice scenes. There was a, a birthday party at one point. Um, and the, it seemed to me the whole point of that birthday party was just like, wouldn't it be nice to have a birthday party yeah. with these people? They were nice people. But they were playing ping pong as they well. Play, there was a lot of ping pong. There's a lot of ping pong, some smoking of marijuana. Um, they, they, they just seemed like nice. I genuinely. Sid was um, the, the bookseller. Uh, Sid, played by Theo Green. He's was, a local dreamer. Uh, he is he's an absolute dreamer and, but I just loved listening to him listening to his stories and it, apparently the videos they use in the film were film videos that the young man who plays Curtis had filmed with oh. the man who plays it so they were the catalyst for the story so those videos existed before this film did and they integrated them into the oh, film oh I didn't know that um, so it's, re- it's a really interesting way that they've made a film um and I and I don't like to give out marks for credit and you know marks yeah. for effort and stuff like that. But the fact that that film was made as cheaply as it was without professional actors and to come up with the final product they did, I, I'm really really impressed by that. It's definitely not for everyone. No, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, um, and and if you know, it's not for those people who who cannot watch a film with a traditional 
conflict-based narrative. You know, there isn't there isn't a bad guy in this. There's not really a protagonist. No, it's I just think a group the of people. Closest to it and just that it could be a bit moody at times. Yeah, exactly. I think that just made them more human. Yeah, exactly. And even uh, when they showed the incident of him basically telling Curtis off as a nine-year-old, and it taps into that fear. I used to hate. I used to be really scared of my neighbours. There was always but a neighbour. If always... you kicked the ball in the garden, you were terrified to exactly get it. Right, that's there exactly. was always that neighbour. We used to play football with some garages, and someone's garden backed onto those garages. And if you kicked it over, it was a five-minute walk round. And you dri- and the fact is, I, I now think back, she was an 85-year-old woman. What was my fit? But you just didn't want to go. You just knew that she was horrible and crotchety. One of my neighbours I once called Mate. And I was like, I'm not your fucking mate. And I was like, whoa, hang on. But as a kid, you're really scared of neighbours. And you think back now and go, well, they were just dicks. Or or they were just old people who didn't like children. Exactly. (laughs) But it really tapped into that childhood fear there. But even then, I watched and thought, I'd probably say something to a kid that was doing what I thought Curtis was doing as well. I'd have been a lot worse of it. Yeah, Yeah, well, you you would have promised to do more than crush his skull. Yeah, I think I should. <laughs> I deserve the one. Yes. Um, so yeah, that that breakfast with Curtis tonight. Dave and I are going to see the surprise film. Um, what do you think it might be? I hope it's porn. I hope it's what porn. porn yeah. You, you hope we're going to see ninety minutes of porn in a crowded cinema. I don't care if it's crowded or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll shout that. I'm glad I'm not coming. Yeah, I'm sat next to this man, and I'm 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 concerned he gets a bit touchy feely now. I'll tell you. I'll tell you, Doc. <laughs> You've heard the Dutch brother. It's not gay. Oh jeez. Um, yeah. So on that bombshell, um, per, I, I, I've, I've heard a lot of rumours. I hope it's Oz the Great and Powerful because I really like the Oz mythology. But I, I just want to get that recorded. So if it is that, I can go. Ha ha! Told you yeah. so. Um, you. But yes, you, you sadly won't be joining us, Paul, and no. probably probably gladly now. Yes, yeah, I do say that. Yeah. Probably yeah. If I don't for you, son, don't worry. Right, so now it is time for Triple Bill, the uh, the Fell Critics session where we choose three particular films along a given theme and given that we're at the Glasgow Film Festival and given I'm in Scotland with two genuine Scottish men. I hope so. Yeah, I'd hope so. I've not checked under their kilts. Um, <laughs> to be fair, they're not wearing kilts, so I don't know how genuinely Scottish they are. But I'd, I'd haggis some my uh, breakfast roll this morning. So oh, that's all right. Did, uh, with, I'm only joking. Oh, you did not? Oh, man. I'm so disappointed. There. <laughs> I had heroin. Yeah, had heroin. Oh, that's fine then. That's good. Um, heroin and tennis. Was that, super was lager. That uh, breakfast? Deep fried. Yeah. Deep fried heroin and super lager. For the win. <laughs> So we're going to choose our three films based in Scotland, three favourite films based in Scotland. I'm going to ask you, Dave, um, in reverse order then, what are your... Are you Actually, are yours in any order if no. you've got three? I've just got three. You've got, just yeah. hit me with your three films then. Right. Well, first film then. First one was Gregory's Girl. Gregory's Girl, yeah. nice, yes. It's, it doesn't matter that it's set in Scotland, it's just the, the story of a teenage boy. Mm. Gets his first crush, she doesn't really like him back, and... Obviously, he ends up going with a pal, and I'm sure he sticks four fingers up. I'm, I'm sure that happens. <laughs> but, oh, that was the point. This podcast suddenly crossed the line. <laughs> I'm surprised it took you this long, Dave. Yeah. Told you, professional. Yeah, that's right. No, but as it is, just one film. It doesn't matter where it's set. Ideally, for me, he's got a bit of football in it, so crosses both my worlds. But it's just the fact it's a teenage boy going through his puberty, really. And we've all had that. Well, oh, we're all good. We've all had that one yeah. girl in school that. 
we had the crush on that we couldn't get, and so we just settled with a pal. Yeah, yeah, no, that's and it, it's one of the few um, really good films that features football as well. That's yeah, uh, you know, and and quite often the good the good football films are the ones that aren't actually about football. Gregory's Girl's not about football. No, part of it. Kez uh, has got that fantastic football scene in it. But um, no, you exactly. It is just it could be from anywhere yeah. that film. And it, you've got a. I know um, Dee Hepburn they sent her to party officials training for six mm. weeks so the, the football scenes were realistic as they could be mm. and I know all the guys in the film the, the pupils they did play football for various different boys clubs okay. at the time so they made sure that was as realistic as it could be even though it was only part of the story Okay, yeah. I just happened to be where the crush started ok oh, that's cool um, ok your second film then uh, my second film was The Deck Collector the debt collector. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. Hang I on. I don't think you'd ask my No, character. no. Look at you throwing me a yeah. curveball. Uh, Billy Connolly, of all people's uh, okay. headliner. It's he, his character's Nicky Dryden, and that's roughly based on Jimmy Boyle, which is a gangster come artist from Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Boyle served time for murder in 1967 in Berlin in prison, the toughest prison in Scotland. Um, and there he turned, basically changed his ways, became an artist, and he's done all the while well, still in prison. Once he came out, became a respectable artist, and he's written books, films, etc. Um, so Billy Connolly's character was set on him, um, but that was pretty much where he stopped. But the basic premise of the film is Nicky Dryden gets, left, uh, gets arrested by Gary Kilty, who is played by Ken Stock. Um, and this is in the late 70s because he was a loan shark's enforcer, which is where the deck like the title comes from. Because he's been enforcing the loan sharks, doing things to people that he really shouldn't be feeling. His particular trait was that Barbon attacked the person who was not paying the wage, he'd attack some of his family. You know, so it was a bit more personal to an extent. So he gets arrested, puts him in jail, and Nicky Dryden does something similar, you know, comes out of jail, stunt, you know, changed his ways, becomes a sculptor. At his first show with his wife as a journalist now, he's completely changed his ways, he's a respectable member of society now. Kilty comes in and basically you have not paid your debt to society, I've not forgot about you, I'll make sure you suffer. So the, the, the detective's just not going to let it go. At the same time... It's a bit like Les Mis, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it, you pair of mansies. <laughs> oh. Um, at the same point, there's a character called Flappers played by Ian Robertson who approaches Nicky Dryden and he's basically approached him for work because he wants to base his life on Dryden because he wants to be the debt collector. Um, uh, Nicky Dryden tells him, well, Bill Codd says, no, do one. The, the best line of film, I'm not the heat bangers William Wallace anymore, get to fuck. And it's just that he's determined he's changed his ways, he's a better human being, but Kyoto's just not going to let him do it. Um, so if you've not seen the film, we're going to get into it too much mm. for here on in, but the big ending is basically a knife fight between the two, mm. which Dryden comes out and talk, mm. but it's totally devastated his life and his, his body, you know, he ends up disabled because it and society shuns him again. <laughs> it's just a really dark grip of colour, which I can't, it was filmed for me in 1999, mm. I can't emphasise enough, watch that film, it's mm. fantastic. Billy Connolly, I've always it's had a great performance in it. Brilliant. Oh, thanks, Dad. No, I, I genuinely didn't know that film at all, so that, that's brilliant. And your final choice, then? My final choice was Unleashed. Unleashed? Yeah, which sounded in Glasgow in 2005. Yep. Um, Jet Lee and Bob Hoskins are the main characters in it. There's a partnership you never thought you'd see, would you? Fucking hell. I'm not going to lie, that's the reason I watched the film to start with. What? 
Jet Li and Bob Hoskins. This can only end well. I, I imagine there's a lot of talking scenes, you know, a lot of scenes where they just sit down and converse on all sorts of... Oh, there's, there's <laughs> lots of tea and sandwiches. <laughs> the prawn sandwich brigade at Celtic Park come out. Um, but though, it's just a fantastic action film. Yeah. Action film, very similar to Fees, actually. A lot of action in it, there's a lot of fellas in it as well. And um, Danny, who's played, played the Jet Li, uh, they call him Danny the Dog in it, because Bob Hoskins, who's character's Bart, basically controls him. He's a loan shark as well. I seem to have things about loan sharks. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is something I'm missing out on. Um, but Danny's got the mentality of a child. He's basically Danny, Bart's brought him up like that. Um, but he's got me a call and he's like, as soon as he removes it, he becomes a vicious killing machine and just uses his martial arts skills to do it. Um, Morgan Freeman's in it as well, so no. for no other reason, watch it for that. Um, again, if you're not seeing it too much, I don't want to spoil it for anybody listening, but give it a watch, you know, it's got action, it's got suspense in it, it's got a good ending as well, it's got a happy ending, which we all want in these movies. So, good, yes. thank you very much, Dave. One brief up. And Braveheart. <laughs> I know some fucker would mention Braveheart. Fuck's sake. Oh, you don't want it in no my films then? Yeah, I'm um, moving on. Yeah, have you got the director's cut of Braveheart and uh, the extended? The extended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. What? Go yeah, on then, Paul. What? Sure. What are your What are your three films then, Paul? Dave's in a bit left field. Mine's in a bit. More. I know. I mean, he's I, putting I bloody research, yeah, hasn't he? I know. I, know. I, did, I decided to be awkward. I, yeah. I really haven't. I've went for probably the ones that jumped out in most um, first. Of all Sweet Sixteen with Martin Compton, it was Ken, it was Ken Roach, uh, Ken Loach, sorry, yeah. and it was Kez as well as you yeah. already mentioned. Yeah. Um, basically, he played Liam as a boy grown up in a council estate in Greenock, really tough time. Uh, his mum was going out with a pretty much an asshole, as you would describe it up here. <laughs> uh, his sister was a bit of a, a down and out with a, a kid when she was really young. A um, as we describe it up here. Aye, well, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, his mum was in a jail and they started selling drugs and stuff like that. The, the, story, the story is much more than that. It's, it's really good. It's like him and his friends trying to make, them, make, a, make something of themselves rather than just being... As, probably as Dave does just goes home and injects himself with heroin <laughs> um, the, the main characters in it um, Liam is Martin Compton who's been on other Scottish films and done a wee bit more um, William Ruin used to play some ginger guy in River City I can't remember his name played uh, Liam's best pal Pinball which I thought was a great name for a, for a main, main character in the film he was really good in it as well he kind of went off the rails towards the end um, and Liam started to make his way in the kind of gangster style world of Greenock <laughs> you remember being to Greenock you know what we're talking about it's a wee, bit, of it's a wee bit rough um, but it's um, when I first watched it I thought oh this is going to be a it's Scottish film it's not going to be that great I watched it when I was really young it was only about 14 or something I watched it and it just really spoke to me because I'm from Adrosan which is about 35 miles from Greenock and I know exactly the area where these guys grew up and how I know people in a similar situation so I, I, it really spoke to me I thought it was really really good yeah. so and it, it done quite well on IMDb which really surprised me for a, a film that's so Scottish I would take it with had um, subtitles for English speaking and American people yeah I, I saw I saw it um, when it was released actually I saw it in my local arts it's one of the most depressing hour and a half or so that I've ever spent in the cinema but it's called us it, a happy book <laughs> one for all the family yeah, done quite well he done but quite yeah, well it, it's, yeah it, it's it's 
it is definitely a, a, a powerful. It's a, it's very much a Ken Loach movie as well, isn't it? It is. It's truth on camera, um, and I, and I think it, it benefits from. I'm pretty sure a number of the ca- a number of people, non-professional actors, first-time yeah. actors, and uh, well, when Martin came up football, 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 football uh, movie, okay. he, he played for Greenock Mortley at the time. Okay. One of, one of the boys that was played his pal, I can't remember who it was. Um, Trying to remember the names, some crackers of names. There was Pinball and there was uh, Sidekick, I think it was one of the other boys' names. And one of them actually ended up in the jail. So I just they weren't professional actors. These boys were went through an audition stage and it was like a local thing it was advertised oh a Scottish movie and these boys are in and they have been actual local Neds yeah. and they've got they've been a wee bit clear for the camera but one of the boys came the wrong track and ended up in the jail which is a shame but yeah. I always have that film mm. from it's 11 years old it makes me yeah. feel old actually <laughs> shop <laughs> <laughs> so your second choice then Paul right it's Probably the second most famous Scottish film of all time, Trainspotting. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'll put my hand up here and go. I had Trainspotting. It's one of my, it's one of my ten out of ten films. Trainspotting. Oh, I couldn't so not put it in. So good, you know. This, the cast, if I was doing it properly, I probably would have put that in. Like, so I had to be up for the cast, the direction, the way, the way. It's so dark, mm. but it's so open. It's so eye-opening to to what life could be like for people if they took the wrong track. It's Ewan McGregor's brilliant and it Kelly Donald fantastic. Don't you feel a little bit guilty watching Train Spotting now, knowing that she was what sixteen at the time uh, or something? Well, I was younger. You, so. Yeah, I know that's true. Well, yeah. when that film, I think yeah, I think she's a year or two older than me, so I don't but I do feel a little bit kind that, of weird watching it now. I got over it. When that <laughs> film, when that film came out, came out I was five, so it doesn't really bother me. Oh yeah. <laughs> older woman <laughs> So but when that came out he didn't know about women. No, it's part of the dinosaur. But no, it's it's synonymous with Scottish film. I think you, when you think of Scottish film, you think Ray Pat first and foremost, and then you think Trainspotting. Mm. And it's I would say it's probably my favourite Danny Boyle film as well. So, yeah, yeah. Without, yeah. well, although he's without he's a doubt. fantastic director, and yeah. it's really good that. Um, that he did make that, yeah, mm. and and you said, yeah, and yeah, you're probably right. Sadly, I think Braveheart is the film that most people connect with, but I think Train Spotting is just is an honest portrayal of Scotland, warts and all, and the good bits as well. Yeah. There are so, there are so many great bits. The characters in it are fantastic. Yeah, Bigby um, especially Robert Glover yeah. yeah. is fantastic. Like, you go in the film as well. So many actors have made their breakthrough because yeah. of yeah. You go into any pub in Glasgow or Edinburgh. Rough pub, old man's pub, proper pub. You'll see a guy. You look and go, "There's Bigby." Yeah, <laughs> every it's guaranteed to happen because it's Scotland. That's just what happens. I know it's you're talking Braveheart. You think foreign people go Scotland. They think Celts. They think Haggis. They yeah. think oh, quite heavy drinkers. Yeah, or they think smelly people that's soon as eating take heroin on the time so that's pretty much brave part of the transport that's covered Scotland in a whole which is a shame but there you go yeah and and again and um, one of the first soundtracks I remember buying I I remember actually Think, watching a film going I need to own that soundtrack and that I think the soundtrack of Trainspotting is also such a key part of it because yeah. it, it made it made stars of Underworld for a start yeah. you, know, yeah. you know Born Slippy became 
an anthem and it wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for Train Spotting, I don't think. No. But there's there's a load of really great tracks on there. Um, well, I got the soundtrack I paid for Master to the movie by stealing it from John Menzies. <laughs> John did you then run down the street to uh, Lost for Life and get chased by people? Damn right, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I did that before we done this. Um, and your final choice then? Right, this is the one I was saying before we started recording. It's going to throw you right off oh, okay. the field. The day after tomorrow. Right, okay. Do you remember the, the scene yes. where the recording in Scotland were in the bunker where they were pretty much trapped? Again, yeah. Sit and watch the, I think it was Man United Celtic game on the Champions yeah. League. I'm a sucker for a disaster movie, so thinking through Scottish movies, I, I was looking through a big list that I found online somewhere, and for my sins, I've seen bits and bits of some of them. Mm. Another one, I was, if I'd seen it all, I watched half of it with my dad, it was The Angel's Share, which is another Ken Loach mm. film, which is meant to be really good. I watched half of yeah. it, I was really impressed, but I never watched the whole thing, so I couldn't include it. So I went with it the day after the tomorrow just purely because part of it was in Scotland. I don't know if it was filmed in Scotland, but it was based in Scotland, yeah. so. And I really enjoyed it be- simply because I'm just like it's like Independence Day. Or it's yeah. like Armageddon. It's just like oh, this is good. big end of the world. Uh, yes, exactly. yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I, I'm going to start off my three. I, I don't know if it's cheating to put a documentary in. Well, it isn't it? It's a film. Uh, but but do you know what? What it did is it actually it, it gave me a really positive impression of part of Scotland. And it actually made me rethink what I'd thought about other bits of Scotland. The documentary is called "You've Been Trumped." Um, it was at, it was on the BBC last year. And it had a cinematic release last year, and it's about the uh, it's about Donald Trump's golf course. So yeah, Donald Trump wants to build a golf course, uh, the the best golf course in the world. Um, and to do so, he has managed to persuade the local council to give him planning permission uh, to basically get rid of a lo- where a load of people live. Um, a local council, and the documentary follows this story, a local, a local green councillor basically spearheads the fight against it um, until the Scottish government, led by Alex Salmon, take it out of their hands and decide to grant uh, permission. Uh, regardless of what the local, you know, basically reversing the local decision. And then the documentary goes on to look, it, it does portray Donald Trump as a complete bastard, which I think is an absolutely fair comment. He does yeah, come across as an arrogant dick throughout the entire. Like, but people like, I've got a great tendency to eat dicks, that's why Oh, yeah, exactly. Up. And he kind of admits himself. There's this scene where Miss Scotland comes over. Uh, it's at some kind of press event. Miss Scotland comes over. Uh, pardon? It was me and a wig Oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> you looked fantastic. Um, and uh, and he like, goes off and says, we should give her a job. As if, like, he's just, like, basically trying to buy the people of Scotland one by one. Speaking of, uh, Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Sadly, we have no Donald Trump sponsorship for this podcast. <laughs> I tried desperately. Um... But then it gets really quite sinister because the the filmmaker, Anthony Baxter, has given a few of the local residents video cameras and they start recording the destruction of the local sand dunes because Trump's made it a big part of his... Um, of his publicity campaign that he's going to preserve these sand dunes and actually they end up moving sand from sand dunes to like down the road and stuff. it's horrible and the filmmaker Anthony Baxter goes to get uh, an interview 
with one of the Irish contractors that was working there. And that's another big bone of contention is the fact that Trump is talking about all these local jobs that anyone you see working for him seems to be Irish or American. There doesn't seem to be a single Scottish person working for this project. So about one minute lunch? Yeah. <laughs> and they go to get an interview and then the police come along and the National Union of Journalists speak about this incident and say it's the first time on British uh, in British soil that a journalist has been arrested by the police simply for carrying out an interview and it's Trump has brought the local politicians and the police and it's just I was watching this film it just made me so angry I, I was watching this film thinking I'm absolutely fuming simply because I'll be honest I, I, I live in the middle of England and I've always thought I've always said this to my family I've always said if the Tories get in for another period and Scotland goes independent I'm moving up there because they seem to know how to do things better um, you can come back yeah <laughs> but, but, but then I was like oh, oh it's, their politicians are actually the same as our politicians and that really annoyed me because I, I, I did have this idea of Scotland doing things like that a bit better well, I, I generally didn't know there was a documentary about this but I think you seem banging the money it's exactly what happened and as Donald Trump's face for victory in God so he's bought off everybody and yeah. it's disgusting aren't we? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely disgusting he is a weird bastard that kind of, I really really don't like him and even though we're from the complete opposite end of the country I think it's ridiculous the way he's going on and the, what he's actually doing yeah. I haven't seen the documentary as such but I know exactly what it would be like and I know exactly the way that he comes across because he's such a dick yeah. in gen- just in general he's such a dick yeah. and the annoying thing is that he knows he's a dick yeah. and he plays and, on it and, and he doesn't care yeah and I said, he just buys, he just bought off everybody, move house, there you go, there's money. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you should do this, there's money. Morals yeah. gone. Which to be fair, I'd have probably done it for a tenner. Yeah. I have no, I have very little morals, but it's, nah, I didn't like the whole situation yeah. in the first place, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, very interesting documentary. The other one of my choices was train spotting, and uh, we've kind of covered that. So I'll go uh, to, uh, I'll go to my, my final choice. Um, and I watched it again last night just to confirm that I love it so much. The Wicker Man. Fucking love The Wicker Man. Fantastic. And you know what? Not enough films know this. You can you can get your story done in less than 90 minutes. And watching it again last night, it just reminded me how brief it is, but how brilliant that is. It doesn't hang around. Um, Edward Woodward, uh, again, such a fantastic name, uh, plays, uh, play, uh, plays um, Sergeant Howie who is called to a Scottish island. I think it's it's set in the Orkneys or somewhere like that, isn't it? It's called I've only seen the remake. So. Oh, oh, my God. The Nicholas Ca- we love Nicolas Cage on Fail Critics, but that's a fucking terrible film. Nicolas Cage, I'd be terrible. I'm glad that you agree with me. Nicolas Cage is one of this... this Planet's finest actors in my opinion. He just grabs a camera, doesn't yeah, he? He does. Um, Look at me, I'm bad shit crazy. Yeah, I exactly. Love you for it. Yeah, and I went to see um, I went to see Mark Miller yesterday talking about Kick Ass Two, 
um, and he talked about his experiences on Kickass. Apparently, Nick Cage came up with the idea to do an Adam West impression while he was when he was being Big Daddy. And that was his idea, and also it was Nick Cage's idea for Big Daddy to disguise himself by gluing on a slightly bigger moustache to his face. <laughs> and, that was, and, and he said that Nick Cage did something different every take. And I, I, I love Nick Cage for that reason. But no, we're talking about the Wicker Man with Edward Woodward. Uh, goes to Summer Isle uh, looking for a young girl who's gone missing, presumed murdered, called Rowan. Yeah, comes across a really backward community of full-on pagan druid hippie bastards. Um, and it's just so creepy. And, and the thing is, it's filmed in such a brilliantly creepy way. You've got the bit where Edward Woodward goes to sleep, uh, Sergeant Harry goes to sleep, having been um, come on by having had the come on from Brit Eklund and then dreams about her kind of slamming a wall naked uh, and she dances around his room naked and stuff like that it's fucking weird um, then you've got children going around wearing animal heads loads of the time it is it, and uh, we were talking earlier uh, we mentioned Dave's got um, the uh, LR Dave from the League of Gentlemen as your ringtone and it has got that and the League of Gentlemen massively heavily influenced by the Wicker Man with that weird creepiness it is so unsettling um, and everything's then everything's done to perfection the, the location is perfect yeah, the oh, acting is yeah. everything's perfect yeah. and uh, Christopher Lee playing uh, the Lord of Summer Art is Christopher Lee did that for free just to get the film made he believed in the film so much did that for free and he says it's his favourite role that he's ever done and Christopher Lee is fantastic in it he is I love Christopher Lee anyway he's brilliant and then just and I don't think I'm spoiling anything because I'm pretty sure everyone's either seen The Wicker Man or has at least seen the end of <laughs> Edward Woodward in a burning Wicker Man and it's just and then, and then it's like that's the end of the film and films don't do that anymore these days just end on a real like oh fuck exactly and it, it can you know it's a 1973 film I love 1970s horror because they'd gone past the kind of stagey hammer horror of Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff like that but it was before we had all this CGI so they just made really creepy fucking films like they The Exorcist pushing it further and further yeah further exactly The Omen The Exorcist The Wicker Man and quite often it was about actually the horrors were people yeah. they weren't some scary monster they were this is what can happen to people and actually people are who you should be scared of I think The Wicker Man is one of the prime examples of that so that's our kind of collection. Did you have any that nearly made your list? I'd quite a lot. I nearly made my list, but I mean, there's many foreign films we've filmed in Scotland. Um, Emmanuel in Scotland. Yes. <laughs> Emmanuel body for now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like the Angel Share, I was tempted to put it in, but like Paul, I've not seen it all the way through, oh, so I couldn't put it in for definite. Highlander. I love the series. Highlander was very close on mine. I, yeah. I just love the series, but because I couldn't pick a film, I, I couldn't put it in. Yeah. Uh, it's, too many. I could have thought that was the bomb. Well, David mentioned that earlier on. It didn't quite register with me until he said it's Skyfall. You could have made it. Of course, yeah. No, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, no, actually, most of those I think were nearly on my list. I really enjoyed Brave last year, the Pixar film. I, I actually really enjoyed it, but I know See, a lot of people. I'm an adult, on it. so I don't watch it. <laughs> it made me cry. It made me cry. So, um, the other one would be Whiskey Galore as well, that's which, a great film. which is, is a great film. absolutely brilliant film as well. Um, 
um, an old Ealing comedy, basically uh, a ship gets uh, shipwrecked with a load of barrels of whiskey on an island um, and the local tax inspectors come in and the local villagers have to hide the fact that they've recovered all this whiskey. Um, it's a really, it's a kind of like the people against bureaucracy. It's also really difficult to understand the place as well because it was filmed in the 40s in rural Scotland. So some of the accents are almost impenetrable. <laughs> to my ears, anyway. I'm sure oh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Thanks very much for that, lads. So that's it for this very special edition of the Fell Critics Podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Dave McFarlane and Paul Fisher, as well as Stephen Niche and Amy Taylor, plus, of course, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for the music. I'd also like to thank Glasgow Film Festival, especially Kirsten Innes, Laura Doherty and Hannah Cosgrove for making me feel so at home here. Uh, I can't forget Brewdog Glasgow, uh, our official sponsors for, for providing me and my guests with a brilliant venue to record, as well as the best pub food and beer in Glasgow. You can find us on the internet at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at at failedcritics, or you can find us even on Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritic. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll leave you with this, which, I'll be honest, sounded like a good idea at the time. Right, so that's it from our very, very special Glasgow-based Fell Critics podcast at the Glasgow Film Festival. I'd like to thank Dave McFarlane for attending. Hi! And I'd like to thank Paul Fisher for coming along as well. Thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, and thank you very much, listeners, for listening to this. Thank you very much. Um, fuck it, I've forgotten his name now. The guy who does the music from Incompetech. Maybe I won't use it. Fuck it. No, I'm leaving this. I'm, I'm leaving this in. <laughs> this is the worst goodbye ever. This is so Steve knows that his job is safe as host of the podcast. Uh, yes, thank you very much to everyone who's listening, and goodbye. <laughs>